Lovers, this is episode 33 of Kill Streak. I'm Eric Goslin, and joining me, as always, one Mr. Michael Price. Mike, how are you, sir? Also, what is your middle name? Morrison. Whoa, that's a cool middle name. Everybody always says that, and I'm like, okay, cool. I never really thought of it as cool or uncool. Yeah, I like it. Michael mm-hmm. Morrison Price joining me from Austin, Texas. My How's... social security number is 39. <laughs> How's uh, the Lone Star State treating you these days? Uh, pretty good. You know, life is still a living nightmare in uh, countless ways. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these last two weeks have been good compared to the last few weeks. I don't know. Time is slipping away from me. Uh well, I bring it up because I am currently in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. You have escaped from L.A. Oh. Today, we are talking about John Carpenter's Escape from L.A. John Carpentober continues. Yeah. Thank you so much for coining that phrase. Of course. I laughed aloud when I saw it in the <laughs> episode description. <laughs> it, I mean, as soon as I... It just, it's like it came right out of my fingers. I didn't even uh-huh. think about it. I was just writing. I was like, of course. Why yeah, wouldn't it's it perfect. be? Someone um, else probably came up of, with it before. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, we're doing a little something different for the month of October. And we are brushing up on some John Carpenter movies we either missed or uh, just haven't seen in so long. And this definitely falls into the latter category. I yep. think I've only seen this movie once, and it was in theaters mm-hmm. when I was when it came out. Um, Same, yeah, yeah. And I remember being, I obviously I don't think I had seen Escape from New York at that point, but I was like, "What the fuck is this movie?" <laughs> <laughs> that is a weird way to go into it because I had seen, I had definitely seen Escape from New York. Um, before I saw this, my mom recommended Escape from New York to me, uh, cause she's got good taste and she kind of knew That's what cool. I was into. Uh, and this was, I've, I've said this before about some, uh, another movie and I'll probably say the same thing many more times, but this came during my Fangoria subscription years. So even though it wasn't mm. a horror movie proper as a John Carpenter movie and as a cult film, they covered it. And so, again, it's like I remember the handful of of production stills that I saw months before it came out. And I was giddy with anticipation uh, when when this was released. Yeah. Uh, You brought up that it's not really a horror movie. It's not. Mm -hmm. I I just rewatched Escape from L.A. uh, in preparation for this movie. Or Escape from New York. I'm sorry. Escape from New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, really, just any excuse to watch that movie. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it had been a couple years since I'd seen it. Sure. Um, and that movie is way darker and moodier and mm-hmm. could skirt on the edge of like, it's not a horror movie, but it feels yeah. more horror adjacent than this one. Yeah. It fits much more in, in that kind of, uh, lane. 
that John Carpenter, I mean, even I think you could say the same thing, even a little bit more so about like Assault from Precinct Thirteen. It's not explicitly yeah. a horror movie, but it's so close, you know, that it's like you could easily have a a double, you know, a double feature of like an Escape from New York and The Thing side by side, and you know, they fit together tonally and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, this one, totally different animal. Um, totally different animal. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Should we just launch right into it? Should we get a hot yeah. start here and talk about the movie? Yeah, I mean, this was probably. I have a feeling this one's going to go a bit long, so let's just get into it. Okay, cool. Uh, well, then I'll put it to you first. Blood and guts check. How did you feel after watching Escape from LA? Um, I still don't think it's a very good movie, uh-huh. but I had I kind of had a blast watching it. It's fucking mm-hmm. dumb. <laughs> but it knows it's dumb yeah. in a way that the original doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think it suffers in comparison to the original. You know what I mean? Like like I said, I watched the original two days ago. Right. And it, it doesn't wink at the camera at all. And mm-hmm. this one almost literally ends on a camera wink. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's... Um, the biggest problem that this movie has, or that it faces, I would say is that it is a bad sequel to Escape from New York. Yes. But it requires you to know intimately Escape from New York to really, for it to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when I saw it for the first time with the expectations that I had, which is like, it is a sequel to this movie that I love, that I think is great, that has, like you said, a very particular kind of tone. It's dark, it's gritty. And this movie goes in a completely different direction. And so it failed its in- initial sort of test for me to be like, you are a bad sequel to the first movie. Why are you so weird? Yes, and, it is but, so weird. Yeah, but now watching it more than 20 years later, I'm like, this movie has every right to exist on its own. It's fun. Yeah. It's silly. It's kind of stupid. But it's, I mean, I was entertained for the entire runtime of this movie. Hell yeah, man! I yeah. agree. I um, and I'll say rewatching the first one with a more critical eye, like mm-hmm. knowing that I'm going to be talking about it on a podcast, that movie kind of moves sort of slow. It parts. is slow, yeah. It's a slow movie, and this one just chugs the entire mm-hmm. time. Never yeah. really a dull moment. Yeah, and I mean, I think this one, like, there's a lot of things that just barely broke the wrong way for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is like that tone thing, and I think. If Carpenter uh, and uh, and his co-creators, because uh, this time around, so it's, you know, it, actually Kurt Russell is a co-writer on this movie. Um, and Deborah Hill, coming back from early on, worked with Carpenter a ton uh, in the early going. If they had been able to shift it just a little bit back towards something a little bit darker, I think yeah. that that would have been helpful for the movie's reception. And then the other thing, which I will just say right off the top, is regardless of era, this movie has awful special effects. Oh, my God. um, That famously were very bad at the time. And that's not really... It's certainly not John Carpenter's fault. Um, It's just a product of who was working on the the effects and, and what happened. Because essentially... To to make a very long drawn out story very short, um, 
they had Buena Vista like special effects was like the team working on this. And this was like one of the first movies they ever tried to do with like extensive CG. Like mm-hmm. they were not experts. They it was kind of like, hey, you guys, you guys can do this, right? Because Industrial Light and Magic does this shit, and they're like, uh, yeah, sure. And turns out that no, they couldn't really do it. Right. God. Yeah. So yeah, because they're they're that was the big got the biggest laughs in our household. Uh-huh. Those shitty fucking CG like helicopters. That uh-huh. the surfing scene is like yeah. infamous, and that is like one of the things I remembered from watching it the first time is that stupid mm-hmm. surfing scene. Yep. And I kind of liked it this time around, like the surfing stuff. It's like, all right, this is dumb. I, it, it's I, dumb I fun, a, yeah. Exactly. I have more of an appetite for dumb fun now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, when when this came out, we were probably the worst age to uh, appreciate silliness. Yeah, I would say. You know, like teenagers, like real yeah. serious teenagers. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you know? I was like. 14 i guess when this came out mm-hmm. um yeah or no i was 12 sorry anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> oh, you were 14 because i was 13 i was 14 okay yeah yeah then i was 14 yeah. sorry bad at math and you're the so, old one hey now how dare you sir <laughs> um and i guess what what still sort of bothers me is just it being the sequel to escape from new york mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous movie in its own way, like in premise, yeah. but not in execution, really. Like, there's nothing outwardly comedic about it, at least in my right, view of things. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some fun. Of course, there's always funny things in movies, but yeah, you know, it's not it's not presented in a ridiculous way. And mm-hmm. this is very much. But I guess that just kind of L.A. is a ridiculous city that's big and yeah. gaudy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Kind of what it- this movie is. And you know, I it's there is no way to control for this, and to uh, we can only hypothesize about what impact it has. But I would not be surprised if my familiarity with the city of Los Angeles now, at this point in my life, colored my viewing of this this time around. Like, yeah, because I will say that like there is the movie itself. If you are not a one-time Los Angeles resident, um, can kind of just feel like a mishmash of dark, like nighttime sets that are all just sort of vaguely post-apocalyptic. And I think that's probably how I felt about it when I was, you know, thirteen and saw it for the first time. Now this time around, while they don't do the best job of building a sense of place visually. By knowing where he is and where he's going and, like, the kind of movement of the plot that really does take, I mean, credit to the movie that it's, like, it takes a straight path geographically through Los Angeles. Um, Yeah. I I mean, it's not straight, but it is a path you could follow. It is a a route. It's not like one of these movies where they're like, you know, you're following cops around and it's like, yeah, we work in the Rampart district and then they're over in fucking Beverly Hills, like pulling somebody over. This is like, no, they say where they're going and he starts uh, where the valley meets Hollywood at the Coanga Pass and he goes Mm -hmm. down into Hollywood. He goes across Sunset Boulevard and the Sunset Strip into Beverly Hills, Mm -hmm. then heads south 
ends up in downtown LA and then eventually much further south as they, you know, they they get to Koreatown at one point. So there's kind of a crosstown thing there. Yeah, you guys love this, right? Anaheim. I, I forgot yeah. about Anaheim. Right. <laughs> but I mean, when they say they got to get to Anaheim, you know, you know, they ask Map to the Stars Eddie, Steve Buscemi, and he's like, it's like <laughs> two and a half hours right yeah. now. You know, unless we figure out another way to get there. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes the sense. The way to get to Anaheim in this movie is so fucking <laughs> dumb. Oh. I love we'll it. To, I think we'll it's great. It. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about, like, the, the L.A. Denizen spin on watching it this time? And, like, did that? do you feel like that colored it for you? Yeah, for sure did. Uh, I, I think I appreciated it more so, just, like, getting the local references and seeing, like, mm-hmm. oh, I see where he is right now. And then be like, well, he couldn't get to Beverly Hills that quickly. The Sunset Strip's really long. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he was on a motorcycle. He was in the middle of a motorcycle oh, you're right. chase. He was though. on a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you got to keep that. I, I did that math. I was like, wow, he got to Beverly Hills fast. But then I was like... There was an extended motorcycle chase. Mm-hmm. So. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. And then he, when he gets to downtown, it's like through a crazy river, like underwater sewer system, mm-hmm. and then surfing down Wilshire Boulevard. So <laughs> kind of makes sense. Yeah, it sort of makes sense. It's not perfect, but it's like, and and again, like all of those things would be kind of like useless factoids or nonsense to someone who doesn't know the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just the way that each part of the city that he visits does, I think it does a decent job. Like a better version of this movie, a less silly version of this movie would maybe think a little harder about draping the post-apocalyptic sort of idea over the skeleton of Los Angeles and what each neighborhood kind of represents. Yeah. He does it a little bit and it's, and it works in parts like Beverly Hills is probably the most on the nose. Um, mm-hmm. but it works well, I think. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoy that brief segment of the movie. Um, and, and also Holly, it's, I was, my joke was going to be that I think this post-apocalyptic vision of Hollywood is the most accurate depiction of actual Hollywood that I have ever seen on film. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that to my wife. Yeah. Cause yeah. when he, when he gets to uh, sunset Boulevard uh-huh. and it's all just like, a Hooverville or whatever, it's like like yeah. Kent City. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. that checks out. <laughs> right, kind of what it's, it's in yeah, it's gross and with. trashy, and there's you know, um, yeah, it's just people. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't want to besmirch any of the great LA residents, and I respect the sh- I respect sex workers, and I feel bad for people with substance abuse problems, but that's kind of what he makes it look like, and that's what Hollywood looks like in Los Angeles yeah. right now. Um, yeah, but you you do wish you would have gotten more of that like the distinct neighborhoods which there mm-hmm. are in LA like the Koreatown, yeah. Little Tokyo, Chinatown, yeah. Echo Park, like right. that whole I mean but obviously only has an hour and 40 minutes to do this and you couldn't do it totally. everything. Yeah. Um Yeah, so definitely being an LA resident as with most things that now are set in LA, like I don't think I've rewatched uh I haven't rewatched pulp fiction since I've lived in LA and um, oh, wow. I would like to do that. Yeah, that's that is surprising to me. I feel like I just see that movie I know. every couple of years by force of habit. I used to, and then I moved to LA, and I just I just didn't. I don't know why. <laughs> Not sure why uh, that is. Uh, but yeah, why don't we uh, go into a little bit about the making of this movie? Yeah, of course. So I mean, for anybody who's been living under a fucking rock, this is a sequel to Escape from New York, um, which is. Uh, a 1981 sci-fi action thriller kind of movie 
uh, directed by Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. Um, I want to say, unless I miss somebody, there's like argument on IMDb trivia about whether or not Isaac Hayes has like a cameo in this during the basketball scene. Um, But assuming that that is just apocryphal, no returning cast members other than Kurt Russell. Um, 15 year layoff in between. And the first time that the idea was tossed around to make a sequel to Escape from New York was just a few years after the first one came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were in discussions in like 85, 86. A script got commissioned at one point. Um, and when it got to Carpenter, he this is hilarious uh, just to hear this statement. Carpenter said about the script that he received for a sequel that it was too light and too campy. <laughs> wow yeah so i don't know if carpenter changed or that script was just the silliest fucking thing anybody could have possibly imagined um but basically um i think again this is all kind of anecdotal but according to the people involved uh, kurt russell is probably the biggest driving force behind the existence of this movie really um he had said multiple times in interviews that his favorite role that he had ever played was Snake Plissken. Um, and he really wanted to come back to it. And I think this was a time when John Carpenter was in the same position that he frequently found himself in, which is like he kind <laughs> of needed um, he needed a hit or he needed something to work, right? Um, because in the timeline of his career... So he's coming off a pretty bad stretch of Memoirs of an Invisible Man, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned. Mouth of Madness got a decent reception. Memoirs was a flop, and it was also a mess. And then Village of the Damned, uh, neither of us can really speak to that clearly, but wait till next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Early, yeah, er, er, early tidbit, early bit of trivia, not trivia, early clue. Is it a clue? Yeah, it's Is a it clue. Yeah. <laughs> Eagle-eared listeners might yeah. be able to figure out what we're going to cover next week. Ooh, I like it. Eagle-eared listeners is is taking off as a as a catchphrase on our podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carpenter needed like a win here, right? So this is a big budget movie for him. Do you know? Do you want to take a guess, or do you know what the budget was for this one? I don't. Five million. <laughs> Oh my god. 50 oh, wow. 50 Holy million shit. dollars. Yeah. Yeah, 5 is low. I I went too low. Yeah. I would I at top I would have said at the top and I would have said 20 million dollars. Sure. So a lot of that is these I mean, you just got to think about what they sunk into these special effects that were supposed to be cutting edge and were anything but, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's just the scale of the movie. I mean, it is big. It's very big. Uh, it has big sets. Um, and e- you know, even though it's all shot at night and so a lot of it, it's like, it could be fucking anywhere. It's like they did shoot on location all over Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, Kurt Russell got paid $10 million. <laughs> oh, so, shit. Wow. So there's a fifth of the budget also. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Good for him indeed. Yeah, and I mean, he was a producer on the movie. He was a co-writer on the script. Uh, and like I said, he helped really get this made. So uh, certainly you're not going to hear me 
uh, arguing that he should have been paid less. Um, I say, do you know something I found interesting is what's that? Uh, in the, you know, I always go back to my boy Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. He gave Escape from L.A. a higher rating than he gave Escape from New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, he gave Escape from L.A. like three and a half stars. Um, <laughs> there is uh, there's a famous ish. I mean, famous is all relative. Uh, but there was a uh, there's a quote from John Carpenter. Uh, that I'll just read verbatim, uh, and and you, you can reflect on this. Uh, so this is what Carpenter said. He said, Escape from L.A. is better than the first movie. <laughs> ten, ten times better. It's got more to it. It's more mature. It's got a lot more to it. I think some people didn't like it because they felt it was a remake, not a sequel. I suppose it's the old question of whether you like Rio Bravo or El Dorado better. They're essentially the same movie. They both had their strengths and weaknesses. I don't know. You never know why a movie's going to make it or not. People didn't want to see Escape that time, but they really didn't want to see the thing. You just wait. You've got to give me a little while. People will say, you know, what was wrong with me? And I'm not, not I'm not all I'm not all the way around. I'm not there yeah, yet I'm not all to where but but he's not wrong that it's like, well, as time has gone on, he is it's moving closer to me appreciating this movie. Yeah. Um yeah, I think, you know, it's it I think if anything it's a little uh, I wish you, you you can't help but think about the movie that could have been where it's mm-hmm. like this is already pretty fun for what a mess it kind of is and it's like if you just tweaked it a couple of things and fixed this and that it's like this movie could have been another kind of all-time classic. I don't know. Yeah. Um so as far as the cast goes, we have obviously Kurt Russell in one of his most iconic roles as Snake Plissken. Um, and then we got a bunch of big, not, I don't want to say big names, but great actors, um, popping up all over the place. Um, the most noteworthy ones, uh, Steve Buscemi playing map to the stars, Eddie, um, Peter Fonda as pipeline, the surfer dude, uh, whose face is all fucked up, which I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, Cliff Robertson playing the president, uh, who was based in part on Pat Robertson, um, was sort of the inspiration uh, for that. But yeah, younger viewers would probably know Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, but Mm -hmm. he was a big actor in the 60s and 70s, um, kind of an old school Hollywood guy. He's great. Um, And then I want to say, you know, we... We'll, get, we'll cover them as we get to them. Pam Greer, obviously, she's awesome. She shows up later in the movie in a somewhat questionable role. Um, <laughs> Stacy Keach is sort of the... Uh, he's playing like the Lee Van Cleef uh, kind yeah. of role in this one, like the military hard-ass. Um, and uh, I think the last big... Uh, big name is debatable, but certainly big part. Uh, Utopia, the president's daughter, played by... Uh, AJ Langer, who I always like, um, she showed up pretty frequently and stuff in the nineties. Yeah, um, she has a face you immediately recognize. Yeah, she's got that m- kind of mole, that pinpoint. beauty mark. Yeah, that's yes. like really. So it's hard to me, pinpoint where you really know her from. You know what I mean? Yeah, for me, wow. she'll always be Rayanne from My So Called Life. That was like the first thing. That sure, I really and I just thought she's on. One, she's on an episode of the Wonder Years, which is an yep. episode I love. I mean, a a show I love. Right. 
uh, people under the stairs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, is a big one for her. But yeah, she just kind of pops up all over the place. She's like Baywatch, Coach, <laughs> you know, uh, Drew Carey show, just like random stuff. But yeah, I think her big pe- most people, if they're gonna recognize her, are probably gonna recognize her from My So Called Life. Mm-hmm. Is my guess because she's she's one of the one of the major roles on that show. Um, but I think she's great, and um, yeah. That kind of rounds out your main cast, but then we got a ton of great, you know, small cameos and stuff, which we can kind of touch on when we go through the movie. Yeah. Um, so, if you've been following along with the trials and travails of John Carpenter and you don't already know it, you can take a guess as to how this movie did. It was <laughs> a massive flop that failed to recoup uh, almost half of its budget. It grossed about $25 million, a little bit more than that, uh, on its $50 million budget. The reviews were mixed. Like you said, Ebert gave it a good one. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Um, One that I want to single out from one of my least favorite film critics of all time, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Uh Weekly, Uh uh, said this about it, that Carpenter was never the filmmaker his cult claimed him to be. Oh, Um, fuck you. Yeah, which is just like... uh, (laughs) And But he says, but in Escape from L.A., he at least has the instinct to keep his hero moving, which is true. I think that is one of the strong suits of the movie, like we talked about. And he can be, if anything, Carpenter is a little slow for some people, but I think that's part of what I like so much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just watched, um, on Thursday night, um, in a friend's backyard, we watched Halloween, as, as we often do this time of year. Um, but I was watching it with Kenda who had never seen it before. And so I think when you do that, you kind of watch it through fresh eyes sometimes. Absolutely, Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this movie is great. It is also so slow and so simple. Yeah. Uh, and I think those are strengths for sure. But I know that for some people that's not what they're Especially coming at it from a modern, in a, mm-hmm. with a modern eye, it, it definitely moves slow, but yeah. I think that's what I like so much about it is it's simple. It's, yeah, it, 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 Michael Myers is terrifying in it. Uh, did she enjoy it? Yeah, she did. She actually really liked it. She she said she one of the things she said was she really liked how straightforward it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that it wasn't overly complicated, and that it was just like yeah. I mean, it's the simplicity can be such a strength sometimes. And for me, it's like I think someday you and I maybe on the podcast could try to rank. John Carpenter movies. Um, maybe sure. not Maybe not this month. Um, but uh, one of the movies that always ends up higher than I think it's going to when I, when I do these evaluations is Assault on Precinct 13, which, yeah. which I absolutely fucking love. And, like, that movie, I think almost of everything he's done is, like, that's the sort of... That's the apex of this kind of film. Where it's just like, sure. I don't know, it couldn't be more stripped down and more just sort it, of it like... It is, it's just yeah. a stagecoach in a police station or something. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, super simple. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. So that's most of what I wanted to cover. Uh, any questions or comments you want to add about the making of Escape from L.A.? No, no. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, this is probably my intro to John Carpenter without even really realizing it. Wow. Oh, maybe that's, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm thinking about it. Huh. Well, there's no way of knowing because I'm now 38 years old and my brain <laughs> is garbage. Yeah. 
My first um, one. My first one was Memoirs of an Invisible Man. That may have been. A, I mean, oh, you know what, Starman. I, that uh, obviously yeah. is Starman. I mean, the trailer Starman. for Starman that led the Ghostbusters VHS that I had was my first introduction to John Carpenter. I watched that about <laughs> fifty times, but uh, I didn't see the movie till much later. Yeah. Uh, man, we talk so much about Starman on this podcast, but hey, we're not covering <laughs> Starman. This John Carpenter Vember. John Tarpen. Carp- John Car- Carpenter uh, Lie. What is it? John Carpenter, <laughs> John Carpenter Lie. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> John Carpenter. <laughs> okay, guys. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to cover this movie. Okay, we start on the credits. We got a new beefed up version of the theme song. It's like yeah. with full instrumentation. Yeah. What'd you think of that? I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, yeah. I, I think what's important is that it is not, from what I could tell, and I could be wrong, but it's like, it's not like they re recorded all of the old parts. It's like the old parts plus stuff. Um, yes, yes. One of the one of the worst things in the world is when you're like digging around on Spotify to listen to a song and you accidentally stumble on like the 1989 re-record of some 70s song and it's just like holy shit this sounds awful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I I like the full instrumentation of it. Although that original score is just so so awesome. The theme the theme from the original movie. Yeah. Um we're now we're in 1998 where it starts out uh, so two years after the end of the first movie, I believe, uh, hostile forces um, in the U.S. grow strong. Basically, essentially, it's the same setup as the first movie. Everything's a shithole, especially right. Los Angeles is a shithole. A, a huge earthquake um, hits on August 23rd in the year 2000. Uh, pretty cool sequence mm-hmm. of like downtown collapsing. This is it maybe looks some really of the, cool. Yeah, it's like maybe some of the only CGI in the movie that doesn't look like shit. Um, yeah, like yeah. the building collapsing, I, I thought looked decent. You know, because um, mm-hmm. I, I worked around a lot of those. Yeah. Oh, you did too. Mm-hmm. Worked around a lot of those buildings, and it's fun to see places you know collapse. It really <laughs> is. Yeah, they've made a whole. It's a whole fucking cottage industry. It's a subgenre of movies, um, and I will say that I love. A CGI tidal wave, even when it looks dumb, yeah. it's just like I was obsessed with like tsunamis and tidal waves when I was a kid. Sure, um, and I used to have like tsunami nightmares all the time. Really, um, yeah. it's a scary thing. It's yeah. a really scary thing because well, I spent a lot of time in the summers around the uh, ocean. And you ever do that thing where you like stare at the horizon of the ocean, and it's like you can kind of make it seem like instead of the water reaching out beyond the horizon it looks like a wall of water coming at you and you can kind of like sure okay. yeah you imagine i don't think i've ever done that coming. but I can, I can imagine what that looks like you should try it next time i'm gonna try it next time yeah <laughs> yeah huge tsunami wave hits santa monica pier um so then this felt a little too real the president then amends the constitution because <laughs> of everything that's going on yeah and he gets a lifetime appointment mm-hmm. um his the capital is moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, where he's yeah. from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then L.A., just like New York, becomes a prison island, but specifically for people who are deported. Yeah. So to be to be clear, it's not a prison. It is a deportation zone. 
deportation that, zone. That is the gateway between the United States and then like kind of the uh, undesirable elements of the rest of the globe, specifically Mexico. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Um, so then there's Directive 17. Now, once an American loses their citizenship, they're deported out of the mainland states and can never come back. Mm-hmm. Then we flash forward again, 2013, now. <laughs> L.A. on Friday, 1900 yeah. hours. <laughs> it's such a... Uh, my first, it's so confusing to just be in 2020, <laughs> and then it's like, okay, so it's 20, 17 years in the future, but it's seven years in the past, and then it's like the movie that came out in 1981 was 1996. This one came out in 1996, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> you know that you you posted that uh that meme of the during deep blue sea 2 of the lady of the math yeah yeah, yeah. woman trying to do math yeah that's yeah. my face it's, right now <laughs> it definitely feels that way um so my first note is holy shit the cgi helicopters look so bad <laughs> They're like awful awful looking helicopters yeah um, um mm-hmm and yet we're it's, at the deportation. Sorry. Oh no, no, it's fine. I was just gonna say another thing too is like, so we get to see all these kind of cool, like the things that aren't CGI. I love. There's like lots of matte paintings and like composites and stuff, yeah. and uh, it's like showing sort of like the post-apocalyptic destruction, and you get to see what is now Los Angeles Island, right? Mm-hmm. So. And and they show sort of like a landscape of it similar to the first movie. And one of the notes that I wrote is just like non-apocalyptic movies. This really exaggerates the percentage of Los Angeles proper that is actually made up of downtown. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it just looks like the big sit, like yeah. skyline of downtown. Yeah, they make the whole yeah. island look like a city skyline. And for people who haven't spent time in or around L.A., downtown Los Angeles is tiny. It's um, tiny. Yeah, it is not like, and it's not. And the other thing is, it's not L.A. Like, it's a part of L.A., but it's not representative of the city in any particular way. It's just like a mm-hmm. dis. It's basically just like one little neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, amongst many, many neighborhoods. And it's it's not even the biggest neighborhood, you know. So, um. So yeah, we're at the deportation center. Snake Plissken is being transported in. He's he was arrested for. Gunfighting for profit in New Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie. I mean, Carpenter loves to make westerns that aren't westerns, and and this is like even the soundtrack yeah. is all the score is all like western spaghetti mm-hmm. western stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I like. I like all that. It sounds awesome. Yeah, and at this point, they've just made him out like yes, yeah, since the events of the first movie, he's a gunfighter. That's literally what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it snakes get, snake gets out of the transport vehicle. There's we meet Brazen, um, who Price texted me about. Looks a lot like my wife, and I showed it to her, and she watched it with me. And she's like, "Yeah, I a lot of people tell me that I look like other people, and they all look like this, but I don't see it." Like, <laughs> you maybe, saw it, right? Maybe a, yeah. I definitely saw it. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, that's Snake Pliskin. He looks so retro. Um, so a bunch of deportees are being mm-hmm. filed in and, uh, Stacy Keach's character, Commander Malloy explains, I think it's him who explains to, no, it's not. It's Peter it's Jason, else. uh, who's a, who's a real Carpenter regular. Um, he's got, I think his biggest role is in They Live. Um, he oh, plays, you know, he's okay. Gilbert. He's like the guy who kind of gets them into, 
the uh the you know what is it the underground kind of organization like, yeah yeah the like yeah radical organization yes basically. but he's a guy who's done a billion movies and he is um yeah he's been in a, a handful of carpenter ones and if anybody's interested uh, just to, I don't want to pimp the competition too much for a second, but Matt Gorley's old podcast, I was there too. He did an interview with him. That was great. Oh, and just, like learned oh, a ton of, ton of cool stuff specifically about being in Carpenter movies. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so he explains that a lot of the people being deported out of the States are prostitutes and atheists because of this new super conservative religious, like, uh, evangelical president. Yeah. Uh, in the hallway, snake. a woman scratches Snake's hand as he walks by. Um, this is a fun... Uh, people have the option of just getting electrocuted, <laughs> getting the electric chair, <laughs> yeah. instead of going to L.A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he uh, walks by some people just in full display getting electrocuted. It's a fun, crazy, busy hallway. Uh, I also want to throw out there, right before, in the previous scene, when they're walking outside, it is... It, it was a blink and you miss a thing. I actually rewound twice just to check it. Snake Plissken's actual first name is revealed to be Bob. Really? Yeah, yeah. In that conversation oh, that, that he has with Peter Jason, he refers to him as uh, SD Bob Plissken. I don't even know what SD stands for, but it's like some sort of military title. I don't know. But, Holy shit. Bob yeah. Plissken. Weird. Yeah. But he says, he, he, as he likes to say, call me Snake. Um, they, he gets led to an office. He sees a countdown bracelet on the desk, yeah. very much like the last movie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a computer there with a big red button, and he presses it, and a pulsing like X-ray of his finger comes up. And what the fuck is that all about? And then Stacy Keach, Commander Malloy, comes in with Brazen and the President, uh, and they give Snake the lowdown. The President's daughter, Utopia essentially went radical against her dad. She hijacked Air Force Three and stole a, an EMP, which yeah. I believe is called the Sword of Damocles. That's correct. Or is yeah. that... Yeah, okay. Which is a cool um, name. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know what the actual Sword of Damocles was. I'm maybe Googling it right now. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> um, and she's blackmailing her dad with it. Um, her emergency escape pod off of Air Force Three landed in L.A., they sent a five-man rescue team to go and get her out of there, but all but one was killed. Snake, hell of a team. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing, one thing during this whole explanation that I really liked is they do some cool like VR stuff, um, where it's like, yes, yeah, yes. they have like a VR recording of this all going down on Air Force Three that they like put Snake into the middle of, and he's kind of like caught off guard for a looking, second like looking around because he's just on the plane and it's uh, yes. you know, it's it's pretty cool they do a good job with it yeah it's really cool um so this is something that kind of went by and i was a little confused by it maybe you can clarify mm. she was getting brainwashed right in her she's taking like vr lessons i don't know that and, we would call it brainwashing but certainly like grooming and uh radicalized radicalized i think is a better way of putting it yeah um yeah so she had been just like there's essentially an impressive again for this movie in 1996 it's a pretty good approximation of future tech 
that yeah, mm-hmm. there's some sort of networked VR that she's like been doing in her like she just spends a ton of time instead of staring at her iPhone, she's on VR. Yeah, um, on VR. But like almost and, in a chat room with this guy, essentially. Yeah, this guy Cuervo Jones. He's yeah. a he's a, a a radical, a left wing radical. Uh, very much looks like Che Guevara. Yeah, quite deliberately. Um, deliberately, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy, um, I thought he was pretty good. Um, I have never seen him in anything else. His name is Georges Corafache. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really recognize him. Yeah, he's uh, he's a European movie star, basically. He's like a, oh, okay. He was like a leading man in like Greece, Spain, France. But I'm like looking through his IMDb, like this is the only American film I've ever heard of that he appeared in. Um, so he used her to steal the black box, which at this point they don't tell snake what it does. Mm. That's an EMP. Um, but if he, if he goes in there and gets it, he gets a full pardon for all of his past digressions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, also they have to kill his daughter. They kill yeah. the daughter. He like, literally it's <laughs> part like, of his orders. <laughs> it's just to like, yeah, she's, She's lost to me. Yeah. And so kill, kill Utopia. Yeah. The president is a real piece of shit, uh, which I, yes. I enjoyed. I, I also, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not upset that they didn't do the same thing, but it made me fondly remember the sort of intense heel turn that comes from Donald Pleasance at the end of Escape from New York, mm-hmm. where it's like in that movie, they kind of make him out to be more of a cipher where you don't really know what his deal is. He's just like in shock. For the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then once Snake gets him out of New York, he reveals himself to just be like an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, like a spineless. Yeah. He's like, well, mm-hmm. what do you want me to do? I'm about to go on TV. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, how is he? how are they going to get Snake to do this? Because he doesn't want to. Well, the woman who scratched him in the hallway infected him with Plutoxin 7. It's a virus. Um, he has eight hours to live. He's going to start getting progressively sicker through the through it, and then finally mm-hmm. he's going to go into a full central nervous system meltdown and yeah. die. So, uh, in that oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying at this point in the movie, if I can understand a viewer watching and being like, "This is just the exact same thing as the it's first the exact movie. same setup, yeah. except mm-hmm. it's the daughter instead of the president." Right. Um. So Snake gets. He he checks that computer. It shows that like, oh yeah, the virus has spread to his hand now. Mm-hmm. So it explains why what his finger was doing. Yeah. Uh, he jumps at them and hey, guess what? They're holograms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was fun. They do that a couple times in the movie. Yeah. Um, so then we get a cool loading. They load them up with weapons. I always love scenes like this, like yes. James Bond Q scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the uh, first one has one of these too. And it's definitely like, this is something I'm very mm-hmm. glad made the uh, return to the sequel. He has a mouth dart that stuns the attacker, a, a portable holographic camera. And uh, what are those? They're matches. They're stick matches, snake. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need matches. Good old fashioned um, <laughs> stick matches. Yeah. They give him. <laughs> crazy looking leather duster <laughs> yeah they give him a bu- prime duster <laughs> it's a black yeah this is it's pre this is pre-matrix though and it's very much like a matrix-esque black leather yeah. duster um and he balks he box it turn uh, putting it all on they have this whole outfit that they want him to wear that's like radar or heat you know, it blocks heat like tracing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fr- uh, it's flame retardant. Right. Uh, and so he, they actually, they do coerce him into putting it on, which I think is a little bit of a disappointment because up to this point, he has been wearing 
and the exact costume from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. they literally got the old costume out and put it back on him. Oh, uh, he still fits in it, too. He, Jealous. He, he spent a long time. Uh, apparently, he spent months getting into shape to do this. Oh, really? Yeah. So, if that makes he you feel any better. He looks great, man. He yeah. looks great in it. And it's that thing uh, where you really see how aging works, where it's like his body looks exactly the same, and it's great. Yep. And his, he doesn't look heavy at all but his face is just wider than it used to his face to be. is wider yeah i noticed yeah. that too he has more of a lantern jaw yeah in this one than, Which, than in the last one this is just what happens when we get old i mean yeah if so, you ever track down a like a 20 year old picture of eric goslin you want to see the world's skinniest fucking face it's so weird <laughs> <laughs> i think you look you look way better now <laughs> i actually think i look better now too yeah um i yeah I, I figured out after like 35 years mm. what to do with my hair. You know okay, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took me a long time. Makes a big difference. Uh, anyway, he puts on the, the the outfit, Western music's playing. I um, love this theme, by the way. This is uh, with the little, I don't know what that instrument is, but that like kind of, it's definitely like like you said. Yeah, like it's like spaghetti Western uh, I think it's a baritone guitar because that's what okay. it is in the in the Marconi. Gotcha. Score. And this reminded me a lot of "They Live" too of that score. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I feel like during this movie, this is just me guessing, but I know that he didn't do the whole score for the film. I'm sure he like wrote a couple parts, but then they had someone else doing like the rest of the score. Um, Shirley Walker, who I again I don't want to speak ill of, but there are like then there are other scenes where I'm just like, what is this fucking music? It feels like a completely different movie. You know? Yeah, the you know? soundtrack too is pretty rough. I liked, pretty of the era. I liked it. I honestly, yeah, I really enjoyed it because uh, I feel like the first like licensed song that shows up, I believe, is a stabbing westward song, and I'm just like, yes, it oh is. shit, I forgot these guys existed. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, know? we end on a white zombie song. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I saw. I'm sorry, I said bar- baritone guitar. It's uh-huh. actually a bass six. Um, I, I want to clarify that Jesus. a bass six for all you guitar heads is essentially bass string six a six string bass but on the body of a guitar huh uh it's interesting i have you one. get that it's kind fun. of twangy kind of sound is that because those yeah. strings are more flexible it's yeah especially when like the, the the higher strings or the, mm-hmm. the, the you know the thinner strings okay. you can get some of that twang it's, in, it's an interesting instrument any hoosies uh cuervo jones runs an organization called the shiny path uh, and their goal is to get back into America, lead lead a full scale attack on the U.S. through Cuba into Miami. So there's yeah. always this threat that the shiny path is going to infu- uh, infiltrate Miami. Yeah. And have um, they have like, they announced yet that they're also going to try to invade through L.A. too, or is that? I don't know. I may that I may have missed that honestly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it definitely at some point it's announced that like he's leading a charge from L.A. into the states, and then there's another one coming from Cuba, and, coming from and Cuba, Florida. Yeah. Um, oh, I should also mention too that the body count in this movie. I already, I realize I've already missed <laughs> one. I kind of I I just gave up eventually because it's like it's an action movie. Just like, yeah, it's too. It was too much. It's too hard. I couldn't. I, I wanted to focus on other things. It's got to be like forty um, or fifty people, right? 
Like, because there, I mean, there are times when he just like rakes an entire crowd with a machine gun. Yeah. You know, or like shit explodes. And mm-hmm. It's just impossible to know. Yeah. Um, so Snake's going to get into this little mini sub and go <laughs> into LA under the San Fernando Sea. Which I, was <laughs> I laughed really hard about that. It is funny. And also, this, this mini sub is like, it was some of the really bad CGI and it's just like the scenes where he gets in and out of it and you're like, it yeah. literally doesn't exist. It's yeah, like the door is like completely. Yeah. It's just like he's generated. He's just like climbing into a green screen box. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> it looks like absolute shit. And I do want to say that um, so far at this point in the movie, eventually I warmed up to it, but in the early going, I feel like her Russell is leaning a little too hard into like this exaggerated version of his snake. snake Pliskin. Yeah, he's just so. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like all right. I prefer snake. What's it? What's the line he always says again? Call me snake. It's snake. Yeah. Call me snake. Yeah, yeah. Every time they call him Pliskin, he says, "Call me snake." Call me snake. Um, so Malloy and Brazen are le- are leading him to the the sub the sub that he's going to get into, mm-hmm. and he's like, "So who's going to give me the antidote?" Like, well, there'll be a medical team ready. Neither one of you? Good. He tries to shoot. He, like, shoots them. It's like, well, we thought you'd try that. So we loaded the first clip with blanks. <laughs> and it's, like, the same bit as the hologram. They just, like, pulled a different stunt. It's so, it's, it's pretty it's really silly. Funny. Yeah. Um, he gets in his little sub. The CGI is so bad. Yeah. Holy shit. When he's, like, subbing through the fucking underwater. Yeah. Like, going by, like, landmarks. And he goes by fucking Universal uh-huh. Studios, and a shark tries to bite him. And it looks so stupid, <laughs> but it's a funny joke. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and then right after that, he crashes into uh, one of the office buildings that you that is in Universal City, which oh okay, apparently is it is like the Universal City production office where. A John Carpenter making a Universal movie would go to take a meeting with a uh, with Universal producers. And oh, that's funny. Is it like that NBC Universal building? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, the big black uh, tower there in Studio City. And yeah, uh, if you guys couldn't guess, John Carpenter's got a little bit of an axe to grind with the studios, yeah. and he uh, does that sporadically throughout this movie. Um. So he overclocks the sub. They're like telling Snake, "Come on." You're you're running at too high. He's like, well, you're not the one on a time limit here. And then he he uh, bursts out of the water, lands on like a little bridge, mm-hmm. um, gets out. Then the bridge collapses and the sub falls into the ocean. Terrible, terrible special effects in this. Terrible. It's, it's like the frame either, rates wrong or something. And yeah, the know. the door moving in and uh, opening and closing looks uh-huh. so stupid. Yeah. Uh, there's a gang of dudes on surfboards. Too bad about your belt, man, but we'd appreciate it if you stayed off our beach. Uh, I didn't catch it at this time, mm-hmm. but later on, coming up, um, one of the one of the guys pipelines fucking Peter Fonda. You didn't realize that? <laughs> I didn't realize it until this upcoming scene. Okay. And then I was like, gotcha. oh, fuck, it's Peter Fonda. Okay, got it. In the um, next scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's on Mulholland Drive going down the Coanga Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, does but Mulholland doesn't intersect with the Coenga Pass though? Um, it does. It goes over the Coenga Pass. Oh, right. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, there's a little bridge there. Um, uh, and there's two, there's like two shitty cars shooting machine guns at each other, each other drive by, kind of showing that 
this is a hellhole. Um, and he's he's being tailed by Peter Fonda, Pipeline. Um, this is really – I like this. So Pipeline is following him. Mm-hmm. We see Snake walk out of frame. Yeah. Then Pipeline goes exactly where he was. And then suddenly Snake's behind him. <laughs> it's really good, yeah. <laughs> it's really good. And he like – I don't know. I don't know. Physically, I don't know how he did it, but no, he did it. No, he's Snake Plissken. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, his first stop is the Hollywood Bowl, right? He, he's, yeah. Well, but we he, don't see it. We never. He asked, yeah, we. They skip over it. He asked Pipeline how to get to the Hollywood Bowl. Um, right. And he drops a little bit of exposition on him. I forget exactly what he talks about, but it's just like kind of clues in clues him in on some some L.A. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think his, uh, his 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 forehead's all fucked up. Which at the time I was like, "What is that about?" And then later on, I kind of pieced it together because Valeria Golino, when she shows up later on, I think talks about how the UV is going to be really bad during the day. Oh, sir! So it's all like skin cancer. And yeah, like I think that's. And I shit. think that's the idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't put that together actually. Um, so he says, "Pipeline says the snake." I thought you'd be taller. Which is something that just gets repeated a lot through this movie. Yeah, which is from um, the first movie, and it still never made yeah. much sense. I'm just like, okay. No, no. Yeah. Caresses um, of average height. <laughs> so, Snake's going to the Hollywood Bowl. He's He's got to get to Hollywood. He's walking down to Hollywood, basically. Some rap rock blares, and he's in Hollywood, baby. It's some rap rock? Excuse me, it's a Tool song. Is that Tool? Uh, yeah, I don't. And, know. I, I'm, I'm not a Tool head. Tool uh, fan. And I was. I. This is what my note says. This Tool song on Hollywood may, Boulevard made me remember that Tool kind of rules. Oh, I. Uh, I never really gave Tool much much time. Maybe I, I should. That I don't surprises know. me. I would just assume that you love Tool. No, I. I think it was too dark uh-huh. when I when I at that time. At that time, I was always into like grunge and like uh-huh. Nirvana and like Foo Fighters and stuff. Sure. And then around a couple of years after this, probably like 97, 98, I started getting into like emo stuff. Okay. And so, like, Tool, you know, those music videos that were on MTV, I really mm-hmm. liked, like mm-hmm. the animated ones. Yeah. Uh, and I probably liked those songs, but I never really delved too deeply into them no you know i was at this point i was into like punk like pop punk like no no effects and stuff i think you should give it a look man i think tool's great i mean yeah when i at this point in time in 96 i was like nine inch nails tool yeah uh, yeah stabbing westward (laughs) nine inch nails (laughs) knock off tool knock yeah well so please disregard if i complain anymore about the soundtrack because i did make a couple notes in here (laughs) (laughs) hey man you do you it's okay yeah yeah um deftones <laughs> so i think he missed the bowl exit though because he's already in hollywood yeah. hollywood boulevard's a shithole even more so than usual uh there's just sex workers everywhere they're all dressed like it's a fetish ball um so he's tracking he's following the tracking device to get that team member who is missing mm-hmm. uh and he quickly finds that he's pinned to the wall in this like club sex yeah. den place um very he asks dead. <laughs> one of the he's very dead he's like full of knives yeah pinned to the wall um he asks like a, a a sex worker like where he can find cuervo see i originally i thought her name was hershey she's but she's but talking about hershey yeah she's talking about hershey yeah um and she's like he always on sunset and then two dudes from the club 
who are like throwing the knives skinheads the, uh, the rest what's the skinheads yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. they're they're they come up behind him as snake leaves and uh snake shoots one of them <laughs> body the, counts up to one yeah the lead the lead skinhead did you recognize him no i didn't so the lead skinhead this guy that he that snake ends up shooting is robert carradine from revenge of the nerds uh no fucking shit really like yeah lewis lewis yeah what uh-huh holy shit no that that got by me yeah um Wow. Well, going against type, I guess. Although, really, like, Robert Carradine, Carradine is a pretty attractive guy who doesn't look much like a nerd. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So, uh, Snake makes it to Sunset Boulevard. It's a shanty town and still is. Uh, Cuervo drives by in his red convertible with Utopia, who's, like, full-on freak by now. She's, like, in a bra and, like, shiny. Yeah, she jacket. wears lingerie as part of, like, an outfit for most of the movie, and I don't mind. Nah, she's an attractive lady. Yeah. Uh, he pushes some leather leather daddies out of the way and steals someone's motorcycle and chases after Cuervo. Some other dudes on motorcycles yeah. are yeah. going after him. This is a fun scene, and... Uh, I'm sure, like, I, I wasn't able to find a specific reference, but this this whole action sequence really feels like something from a specific Western, where it's just, like, it's motorcycles instead of, like, a horse. Like, it's basically, like... Horses. Yeah, it's, like, because he starts at the end, like, he basically tackles the last two guys on a motorcycle in this, like, parade off their motorcycle, and then progressively mm-hmm. makes his way up to the front mm-hmm. by taking out everybody on the way, and it feels like... I've seen that in a movie in a Western, like on horseback where you're like trying to yeah, catch up like, to the stagecoach at the stage front coach. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. This, this movie has big Western vibes. Yeah. Um, I keep reading, reread. I got to scroll up to keep rereading so much <laughs> rap rock. <laughs> it's not rap rock. It's industrial. Eric, so much rap rock in this movie. Um, <sighs> There's no rap rock in this movie. Cuervo recognizes Snake. Uh, Snake pops a wheelie while the motorcycle gang shoot at him. Goons shoot at him. Uh, one of them crashes. His bike explodes. Real city, real shitty CGI as Snake ramps into the bed of a truck. It, looks so, <laughs> it basically look, looks like they just like shrunk him down and then made him get bigger. <laughs> That's probably what they did. These people didn't probably know what they were doing. Is. Yeah. <laughs> uh he shoots a dude off his horse shoots another guy through a windshield uh that looks pretty cool i always love a good windshield hit when blood sprays on yeah it, you know I mean? yeah and then the car just careens off because the person driving is dead <laughs> yeah uh cuervo knocks snake off of the truck with a, a bo- i think it's called a bolo yeah is mm-hmm. that a bolo yeah it's like the three rocks on the ends of it's like a triforce of yeah like rocks. what an ewok would use yeah um, then he gets cornered by four goons and snakes like, I'm going to give you assholes a chance. What do you say? We play a little Bangkok rules. So they back off. They take the position, their positions. He picks up a can off the ground and says, nobody draw until this hits the ground. He throws it into the air and immediately shoots everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then the can hits. He's like, draw. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I remember really loving that part in the, in the movie. And then the first time I saw it, yeah, um, I went to go look this up to see if this was a real thing. 
Uh, and I don't think it is. <laughs> I think Bangkok rules. No, I think they made it up. Um, because if you look up Bangkok rules, it's a United Nations rules for the treatment of women prisoners and non-custodial measures for women offenders. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's what Bangkok <laughs> rules are. Um, so yeah. Uh, more goons arrive in a car and snake gets the fuck out of there, but he dropped his leather duster. Oh, oh no. no. One of the guys picks it up and his holocam was in there too. So he doesn't have that with him right now. Yeah. Uh, Malloy and the president radio him to see like what this update is. And Snake's starting to feel a little shitty now. The president's like, that little headache that just kicked in is only going to get worse. Um, oh, yeah, really, yeah I kind of like the soundtrack. It's like all the Western stuff, all the, like the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Snake doesn't really have anywhere to go. So he pulls up a lawn chair and just chills out. And Steve Buscemi as Maps to the Stars Eddie yeah, comes up behind him. I recognize you right away. Never thought I'd see Snake Plissken screws in Sunset Boulevard. So he sells star maps. And he gives Snake an audio version, which is just like a little tiny mini CD. Yeah. In, in like this mp3 part of a cd player yeah it's a really it's real ridiculous funny. it's re- this is definitely future tech that they totally whiffed on <laughs> yeah it's just like oh i don't know smaller cds yeah clearly it's always going to be physical media they'll just be little <laughs> yeah <laughs> easier to lose um <laughs> i love i love the the like audio version of his map he's like and coming up is it's like produced real funny it's um, great. I laughed oh, out like, loud. I love yeah. LA is playing in the background. Yes. Hey, everybody. It's Map to the Stars, Eddie. Yeah, it's like really funny and done very well. And I mean, Steve Buscemi's voice is perfect for it. It just like, yeah. couldn't be better. Um, he says he'll he'll sell it to him for 50,000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This movie, this movie kind of fucking rules, actually. The it's more fun. As it. long as you just like kind of let it go and let it happen, and you're like, yeah, we're just having a goofy good time. It really yeah. works. <laughs> uh, so Snake's in Beverly Hills now, and these ambulances ride by, so Snake hides in a bush. And in the bush, we meet Taz, Tazlima. Mm-hmm. Um, she's hiding in there too. And he's like, Hey, be quiet, be quiet. And then, uh, he leaves the bush and is immediately jumped by these dudes in robes. They shoot him with like a, a net gun. Yeah. And this and is then, all taking place. I like, this is taking place outside the battered husk of the Beverly Hills Hilton. Yes. Um, yep. which if I'm not mistaken, that was the former location of the much loved and much missed Trader Vicks, right? Like the kind of uh original the hilton yeah that's the the og tiki bar in uh in los angeles i never went there isn't that sad uh yeah i mean i never did either it closed like four or five years ago i think um yeah they weren't they they were known for their like martinis or their mai tais no they're mai tais it's yeah well because it was like the most well-known tiki bar in the country um and like specifically one that sort of helped popularize tiki like what, fifth, like in the 50s? Or 40s, I could go yeah. for a Mai Tai right now. I'm going to make one tonight. I made homemade orja syrup last night. Really? Um, yeah. Well, so very brief sidebar, but some buddies of mine from growing up in Wisconsin, we've been getting together on a Saturday call, similar to the one that you and I do some Fridays with our LA friends. Uh, 
And every week, it's a small group. It's like three, four people. Every week, one of us picks a cocktail. And everyone during the week gathers the ingredients to make said cocktail. And then we all mix one up and meet at 7 or 8 p.m. on Saturday night and share a cocktail. Oh, that's so, awesome. So I suggested one a few weeks back that had orgia. And uh, so everybody went and bought some or made some. So we've all been finding different ways to like use it up. And I actually ended up making more so I could make my ties. That's awesome. I, I want to go to, um, uh, fuck, the place in Silver Lake. Tiki T? I'm blanking. Tiki T. Tiki T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that place. Any whoosies. <laughs> I, I just want to be able to go outside. <laughs> I want to be able to meet my friends. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would settle for the Tiki Bar in North Hollywood. I forget what it's called. I would do it, yeah. yeah. I would settle for, like, um, fucking the saddle ranch <laughs> anything <laughs> which is not far from where we are right now in the movie yeah it's yeah. not uh so his kidnappers have him strapped to a gurney with Teslima. yeah by the way uh, i mentioned separately. her earlier uh valeria galino from the hot shots movies and also yeah. uh, rain that's man that's where yeah. she's from mm-hmm. okay yeah. i think i would have been super aware of that at the time when i was watching this cause i loved it, hot shots and thought yeah. she was a stone cold fox. Yeah, she's got a terrible wig in this movie. She does. Yeah, that's probably what threw me off. It's mm-hmm. it's very like fashion mullety. Yes, and but um, also looks very fake. Like even if it was just that haircut, but real, I think I could let it go. But mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Sorry. So everybody around them has this crazy plastic surgery faces. And there's these nurses with like severed heads and severed ears on mm-hmm. trays. Um. And they're, she explains that they're all surgical failures. They're addicted to to, to uh, plastic surgery, and they need fresh body parts to be reimplanted. It's um, the only way they can stay looking. Can okay, let's have a brief sidebar conversation about this because sure, this is one of those things that's like everyone knows this is a thing, and yet. It just people still keep getting plastic surgery, and they look at like the Kardashians and the Jenners, and it's just like, what are they thinking? Like, do people not realize that like a little tiny bit of like corrective plastic surgery done well can be great, and people who sure. need it for like you know for disfigurement and things like that? I don't want to I don't want to shame anybody for that, but just this like yeah, absolutely con- the constant self improvement. Like I need a new nose, a new chin. I need Botox. I need filler. I need this, and it's like disregard all the mental parts of it. It's just like it doesn't work after like X amount of years, and then you look way fucking worse than you ever would have before. I I gotta tread lightly on this topic. Um. Uh. Not because of anybody. <laughs> me, me explaining further why I need to tread lightly will only make it worse. It's going to make it awkward uh, with someone somewhere. Someone, yeah. yeah. No, nobody close to me. But anywho's, um, I I agree with you. It's just something I can't get my head around. And yeah. I've just realized it's just so, it's, it is a thing that somebody has in their own brain mm-hmm. that they'll never look the way they want to look. And yeah. They'll feel a little bit better for a little bit and then it's time to do it again. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of the way, um, thankfully I, being in quarantine has largely ridded me of buying clothes. Okay. Sure. A, because, um, I started lifting a ton of weights during it and I just like, get nothing too, fits right get anymore. Too thick through the shoulders. huh? 
I'm like thick, too thick through the shoulders. My pants don't fit right anymore. <laughs> like nothing really fits. So I'm like, well, fuck it. Nobody's going to uh-huh. see me anyway. But it is sort of that thing where it's like I like to buy things. It yeah. makes me feel good for a little bit. And then I see the next thing. I'm like, oh, I'm, I should save up for that. So I, th- I feel like it's a similar sort of compulsion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah. the moral of the story is it's the same as so many other things. Where it's just like everybody just needs to go to therapy. Yeah, I mean, because really, no, it's like even relocating to a new city after you get too depressed. It's like, well, you're still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, you're still there, you know? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we meet the leader, the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills, and it's Bruce Campbell in an unrecognizable role. Yep. His face looks crazy. Yeah. He's, I think I, I knew who he was when I saw it for the first time. It was pumped to see him. Always pumped to see Bruce Campbell. It was the thing that I was the anticipating the most about this movie when I saw it. Sure, yeah. Because yeah. at this particular point in time, if I had an idol, it was Bruce Campbell. Um, and I will share now, in a, because I, I think this is a safe place with you and our audience, that like my email address until I graduated from college was badash98 because of uh army of darkness uh and like i just fucking loved bruce campbell so much as a as like a teenager and the evil dead movies were my favorite thing in the whole world he's the coolest yeah he's, he's great oh sorry that reminded me something about the first movie compared to the second movie mm-hmm um, just me saying the coolness. The first movie, although it is slow, yeah. it is fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's a cool movie that makes you feel cool watching it. Yeah. This one, not so much. No, it's this like is it's goofy. a goofy, silly yeah. movie mm-hmm. that, if anything, makes you feel a little bit dumber watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's good for this time, too. Like, you and I talk about this a lot on and off the pod. Because uh, the majority of what we're consuming is either these horror movies or like these dumb action movies. Uh, that we also watch a lot of, and and the through line with with all of that is is it's it is a, it's silly a lot of the time, or it's just like hard to take seriously, and that really mm. seems to scratch an itch right now. I am, I mm-hmm. know that you like those serious darker movies more a lot of the time, but I think you've said that even you with like the kind of stuff that you usually like, you're gearing you're sort of geared more towards these uh, light or goofy types of things yeah. these days. Uh, t- absolutely am. Yeah. Uh, he grabs Tazlima's tits. Good God, they're real. Um, and he, he admires Snake's blue eye. He's like, well, it would be better if you have two, but we'll take it. He's going to cut it out of Snake's head. Yeah. And Snake darts him in the forehead with his mouth dart. I really like this. Stunning mouth dart. I like this sequence, too, because you can see Snake begin the process of getting the mouth dart out. And, Uh like, working it around in his mouth while Bruce Campbell is sort of vamping and, like, looking at both of them. It's very slow and deliberate. And I really like it's like it's delivered almost like a punchline. Like, right before he goes to cut his eye out, he just, like, you know, goes and, you know, hits him right in the forehead. forehead. Yeah. (laughs) He takes him hostage. He's going to leave Teslima because Snake isn't, at the end of the day, I mean, he'll he'll help you, but he's first and foremost in it for snake he doesn't yeah. really give a shit about no him. he's not a good guy he is no he is definitely at best neutral and yeah. yeah i mean honestly i think if you were to do like a full-on evaluation i think he's more of an anti-hero than anything absolutely uh but she convinces him to take her with him um uh, because she doesn't he doesn't know his way around la and she does 
they book it out of there, open a sewer in a, a sewer grate and escape down into the sewers. Snake has five hours left, but she knows the tunnels. She ran guns for the Black Jihad last summer. <laughs> I love last um, summer. That's so fun. Yeah. That's way better than back Snake, in the old days. It's like, no, it was last summer I did it. It's last summer. Yeah. I know these places. Uh, you're Snake Pliskin, aren't you? I thought you'd be taller. Uh, they emerge onto the street, and she tells him how to get to Cuervo's. Get off at the Vermont exit, so he has to get on the mm-hmm. 101 to do it. It's a pretty far trek. Yeah. They've saved a lot of time in those sewers. Uh, sun's coming up in a few hours, and UV's going to be bad today. But I know a place where I can crash. My boyfriend and I just broke up, so you'll have to take care of me. She's hot as fuck, man. I, yeah. I, might, have take, I might have taken the Ellen. <laughs> just, well, I can bone and die in peace. <laughs> or as, uh, we find, he, as we find out by the end of the movie, that might have actually been the best course of action. That would have been. Yeah. It would have been because... Yeah. Of what about what's about to happen, mm-hmm. and also what we learn. Uh, but he decides, no, I'm gonna leave. I gotta go. And all right, she goes her separate ways. Uh, he's on the freeway. It looks this this shot looked awesome. There's yeah. like a composite, like matte shot of the sun coming up. It's like pink on the horizon. Mm-hmm. It's burned out L.A. Yeah. By the way, sun never comes up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, over the over the freeway like that. Yeah, no. But I mean, it's like. This is oh, in, hours in the before the end of the up. movie, and the sun never comes up, which is just Holy like a shit. total factual biff on the part of the movie. <laughs> Holy shit. I never thought about that. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so we see like a group of like refugees or they're mm-hmm. new on the island, like huddled around and Taslima. One of them is him. one of them is his son is Wyatt Russell from uh Everybody wants some and uh, Lodge oh, yeah. Forty Nine and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so she's following. We get her backstory during it. I didn't write it down. Though. I I mean I, <laughs> I I I didn't write it down either. But I do want to say that she gives like a really sort of impassioned, persuasive monologue about mm-hmm. how she's basically trying to tell Snake that like America is the prison and that yeah. Los LA Angeles is free. free. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and as we find out more and more by the end of the movie about what it's like in the United States now, it's like, yeah, it's it's an awful place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fascist country. It's like, it's a fascist dictatorship. And she gives a really powerful argument that I'm like, you should stay in L.A. It's like, too bad that he's going to die if he doesn't. Uh, and, you know, it's like, you know, she's got it all figured out, I think. She's really, she's really yeah. living the life here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yep. Blam. She gets shot. She fucking dies. That was heartbreaking when it I was, was watching this for the first time. I was like, oh yeah. no, the girl I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So she dies in his arms. He has four hours left. Puts a real hole um, in her argument. <laughs> and then we see like it, the people who are shooting up the crowd are just little kids with guns. Mm-hmm. Which is like, it's pretty yeah. disturbing. It's I think it's a it's the Koreatown gang that gets mentioned earlier on, I think is who it's supposed oh, to be. Oh, okay. Though. That makes sense. Um and then we see Eddie driving up in Cuervo Jones's red convertible. Well, we don't know that. He yet. picks him up and says, like, Hi. We don't know that yet, but I mean, I recognized it. As. Oh, you did recognize it? I just saw it and I was like, that car is way too clean. There's something yeah, that's amiss like, here. It's super yeah. immaculate. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get out of Beverly Hills? <laughs> you, you take the wrong turn there, you're going to get killed. 
should have taken one of my maps. <laughs> <laughs> like he's always, he's always yeah. trying to like maneuver. Uh, he's a he's very take... good, yeah, L.A. climber type. Yeah, yeah, and he's like he offers to be Snake's agent a bunch of times. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's gonna take Snake to Cuervo's place. Then he presses a button, and this the panel on uh, like where the glove box would be flips open. These two darts hit Snake in the chest. Yeah, and then that's he's like, ah, oh, it's Cuervo's car. Um, and Snake passes out. Uh, we wake up and he's tied into a, a treadmill on the gym in the gym. Uh, and then there's like the scientist guy. I got I lost a little bit of the plot here, um, he, but the scientist guy I recognize as the guy from Seven who has yeah. to fuck somebody with a bladed dildo. Yeah, which is why he can never be anybody else ever again. He can never uh, be anybody else. That is like one of the most traumatic scenes yeah. of all time. Yeah, his name's Leland <laughs> Orser, and yeah, the second you see him, all you can all I can think of is him hyperventilating with like a blanket over his shoulders recounting uh-huh. the story of murdering someone against oh. his will. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so awful. That movie is so fucked up. I love it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, um apparently oh, he's I saw No, go ahead. You go. Oh, as you say, this is completely unrelated except I watched um Spiral on on Shutter. I w- I meant to ask you how that was. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um it's cool. But in it is friend of the show, not really Lough- Laughlin Lachlan Monroe from uh, Freddy versus Jason. Oh, scary movie. sure, okay. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> to see him pop up his big ass face. Yeah, because we talked about it. he's done like a bunch of TV <laughs> acting, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in like Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so they lay out a plan. Their plan for the black box. Uh, it's an EMP. We finally it's revealed. Uh, it'll shut down all electronics, and they have a device that can direct it. So you can shut down a, an alarm clock, or you can shut down the entire country of Spain. Or, if you wanted to, you could plug in the world code, which is 666, and shut down the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, the president, meanwhile, is ready to give up on Snake, and uh, he's like, well... He's gone. He hasn't. He's his vitals haven't been showing for hours. So let's just flatten L.A. with an airstrike. But Malloy wants to hold out, and then Cuervo broadcasts a message on TV. Yeah. Malloy points out. I was just gonna say it, it. They get in a brief fight, the president and Malloy, and Malloy very wisely uh-huh. points out that the second they see planes coming in for an airstrike, they'll just detonate the device and, to the EMP. Yeah. Yeah. That, that he, the president finally comes to the realization that he really is at the mercy of whoever has the device. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president sees snake on the treadmill in the background of the shot. And, uh, I, I was a little confused by this cause it doesn't really come up again, but the president's on the phone with his wife mm-hmm. and it cuts out suddenly. And then on TV, Cuervo implies that he has his wife now like they kidnapped her right he doesn't know no i see i read this as being equally confusing but in a different way which is what i thought was that for no reason whatsoever cuervo just knew he was trying to talk to his wife on the phone oh and then he like couldn't because they detonated the emp um because his wife's in lynchburg and they target lynchburg with the emp and that's why the phone goes out oh i may have missed that 
I apologize. I may have missed that little detail. There's a lot of stuff that happens hot and heavy, and I'm like trying to keep notes and also not like pause every two seconds. Hey man, so I think I missed that little that little bit. Nobody's judging. You do a great job. President's like I'm at the mercy of a madman. He also has no sideburns. Have you noticed that? The president? Yeah, Cliff Robertson. Just uh, he looks like uh, I know you're not a Simpsons guy, but like Don Mattingly and the old Simpsons softball episode where mr burns keeps telling him to shave his sideburns what are you talking about didn't you say the other day that you didn't know simpsons references no i love simpsons references okay i must have been talking to somebody else i'm sorry i'm sorry that i would ever say something like that oh my god it's like my favorite show of all time well so you know Um, what i'm talking about then yeah yeah yeah, shave those sideburns mattingly yeah have you ever accidentally like you look like butthead or something (laughs) i've accidentally (laughs) cut off my sideburns before i used to have big ass sideburns which is gross Mm. But, yeah, um, I remember that. I'm glad those are gone now. I mean, they're still there. They're just part of a beard, which is They're just good. beard. Yeah. Um, they bring Snake to the Coliseum and that goon who stole his dusters there. They walk by a cage fight, and then they walk by a basketball court, and there's a guy there shooting, and he misses. The buzzer goes off, and they blow him away with machine guns. Then another dude in the cage fight gets his head chopped off, um, Cuervo gives on, gets on the PA and says, I give you the death of Snake Pliskin. Uh, Snake enters the cage. He's starting to cough and he's getting sicker. Mm-hmm. He's like, you may have survived Cleveland. You may have escaped from New York, but this is L.A., Vato. And you're about to find out that this city can kill anybody. <laughs> so basically what Snake has to do, my wife and I laughed very hard about this scene. Uh-huh. There's two court. There's two hoops on a yeah, basketball a court. Full court basketball. Yeah, a ten second shot clock, and he has to make ten points in uh, how much time? Did you catch? Well, how much so time? it's the shot clock resets every. It's it is actually kind of complicated. If you follow basketball, it will sort of make sense, but it's yeah. It's like every time he makes a shot, the shot clock resets shot to clock ten resets. seconds. And but it's full court, so he has to travel the entire length of the court every ten yeah. seconds and make another shot to reset. So it's virtually impossible. The only way to do it would be incredibly fast, or to do what he's about to do. Right. Um, also, I just wanted to ca- I wanted to call out that this is another one of those scenes that's like this is a direct lift from the first movie. It's just instead of a wrestling match, it's a yeah. basketball game. Um, and yeah, I do yes. remember thinking like, oh yeah, this is just like, this is one that I remember distinctly from seeing it the first time. Yeah. He has the, the, the bas the, um, basketball, the baseball bat fight mm-hmm. in a with, wrestling ring. Yeah. With nails. With like a yeah. giant guy. Yeah. With nails on it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So snake makes a couple of buckets, uh, running full court. He's, he's like getting twos. And then, um, finally from down court, he sinks a three. And then he time is about to run out. The shot clock is getting down to zero. He's at one end of the court. He makes a full, just fucking chucks it all the way down the court, right at the buzzer. It's good. He made ten points. Yeah, it's like it's an impossible fucking shot. He doesn't even line it up. He just like throws it. It's real. He really did that. Every single basket in this was made by Kurt Russell. Obviously, not all in one go. But right, like, right, right. But every shot Holy you see him shit. make, there was no stunt double, and he was very apparently very. Uh, he was very set on that that he was going to do these stunts himself. Uh, Kurt Russell, I think, famously was like a college baseball player, 
Uh, he's yeah. like a very he's a very good athlete. His son also a very good baseball player. Uh, plays one and everybody wants them. So it's you know it's in wow. the genes. Wow, I don't yeah. think I could do that. A full court shot like that. I don't know if I could do it in fucking an hour. I think I'd throw out my shoulder trying to do it now. But we used to do yeah. that in yeah. practice in high school. We'd try to make. I mean, especially these days, Steph Curry has like just created an entire generation of kids trying to make three quarter court shots mm-hmm. at every basketball practice. It's a goddamn nightmare. Um, <laughs> anyways, it's neither here nor so there. So everybody's everybody starts shouting, uh, chanting his name, like in part one, snake, 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 snake. But Cuervo pulls a gun out. He's going to shoot him anyway. And Utopia doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He made it. He, 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 Beat the system. You can't right. kill him. And Snake's about to climb a fence. He's climbing a fence to get out of there. And then an earthquake hits. And Cuervo's shot goes wild. He misses. It gives Snake the distraction he needs. Everybody's looking for him. He lights a car's gas tank on mm. fire with his stick matches. <laughs> yes, he uses them. Also, it's, I think, important to note that Utopia at one point does grab the gun, which is like yeah. this is kind of opening up the rift between Cuervo and Utopia now. In Utopia. Yeah. Um, the gas tank blows. He punches out Cuervo, grabs a gun, rakes the crowd. At that point, I wrote body count. I don't know. <laughs> um, he grabs the EMP and runs into the sewers. Utopia is following him in the, down there. Uh, she wants to go back with him. And Snake takes his opportunity, lines up his shot to kill her. And she's like, oh, my dad sent you to kill me, didn't he? But then he can't do it. And, um, he's not all and, bad. And he's not all bad. And then Buscemi sneaks up behind him, pulls a gun on Snake. But Snake doesn't see him yet. It's behind him. Earthquake hits. Buscemi shoots. It goes wild. Hits Snake in the leg. And he falls into the sewer water. <laughs> we cut to the president in, in the deportation center. Who Also, they felt the earthquake. And he's just like, cowering under a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Constantly talking to God and praising God. Yeah. Uh, so Buscemi comes back up from the sewers with the EMP. He's like, I killed snake. Don't worry about it. Uh, was utopia with him? I guess he brings you. Yeah. She back comes up. back up. He's like, Hey, I killed snake and I got, I got her back. You know, he gives Cuervo the EMP and then snake comes out, of the, gets blasted out of the sewers into like this Canyon, kind of thing i think it's supposed to be the la river I'm oh it's la ho- river i thought it was wilshire boulevard but i may have been mistaken well because it's like uh it is like a culvert yeah 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 but it looks all rough and crazy looking i don't know i don't know if that sure. matter my dog's making uh, a cameo in the background surf music plays and pipeline is there in a wetsuit with his board um it is, he's getting ready for the big wave that the that earthquake is going to send a big tsunami wave mm-hmm. down here. So he ties up Snake's leg and says, he tells Snake, he's like, oh, if you're if if you're looking for, um, I, at this point, what is he looking for? He's like, he, he tells him to go talk to Hershey. Yeah, he, he needs to get that. He EMP needs to back. get to Anaheim. I think that's yeah. Yeah, because I think Sna- that's the oh, big thing. Because Cuervo at that point was like, hey, we have to go. To, let's go to Anaheim. Mm, yeah, which is we found out now that Anaheim is the staging area for the invasion of the mm-hmm. of the U.S. And yeah, so Pipeline tells him to to meet up with Hershey, who can help him get there. Right. Um, he gets Snake aboard. 
the wave comes and they fucking surf down the LA river or wherever the fuck <laughs> it is. It looks so dumb and yeah. so glorious. They're, <laughs> they're surfing for so long. Yeah. It's and great. Fucking... There's, there's real Dick Dale music on the soundtrack and it's like, yeah. it's got a fun vibe. It's like, it'd be nice if it looked better, but it's, I remember thinking of it as being exceptionally stupid and then watching it. I was like, this is lots of fun. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, and fucking Buscemi in Cuervo's car is riding along right beside him. Mm-hmm. He makes eye contact with Snake. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. And Snake <laughs> gives Pipeline a high five. Mm-hmm. I gotta off, go. Yeah. Gotta go. Jumps from the board onto the back of the car. <laughs> so dumb. So awesome. Yeah. Buscemi tries to shake him off, drives down an alley, but Snake finally smashes his face, gets the steering wheel, and tells him that he's got to bring him to Hershey. He's got one hour left. They're now in downtown. The Queen Mary, which is typically in Long Beach, is in the middle of downtown. Snake has a COVID cough. <laughs> um, and then he he's led by uh, Buscemi to Hershey's, who is Pam Greer, played by Pam Greer, has a real deep voice, Mm -hmm. which Snake recognizes. I know that voice. You're Carjack Malone. And he grabs Hershey's, uh, grabs her dick. Um, Well, it's unclear. He runs his hand up her leg into her crotch and then pulls out a gun. A gun. He's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, like trying to help the movie out, even though it's like uh-huh. this scene is a mess. And it's like it is a mess. It is pretty transphobic in a general sense, but at least it manages to sort of sidestep just super deliberate. Like it's not as bad as like a crocodile Dundee where it's just like explicit sure. transphobia and literally sexual assault where like, you know, crocodile Dundee grabs a trans woman's penis it's like fucking right right yeah Yeah, you're right he does grab he grabs a gun he makes a comment about like you always had a big gun down there or something like that and he says the more things change the more they say the same where it's like you know and so yeah it's all very i would i would classify it as being generally disrespectful but not outright hostile or uh you know i will say snake's not like grossed out by her sure yeah And, and they do have a history her Hershey, when she was named Carjack Malone, left Snake for dead, like double crossed him and left mm-hmm. Snake for dead in Cleveland. Right. So they have a history, and it's not good history. Yeah. Um and then Snake is gonna he needs to get to Anaheim, he needs her her help to do it, and um promises her it's like, Well, they're gonna give me a hundred million when I get back. It's like a hundred million greenbacks? I got ten million over there. He's like, no, bluebacks, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was a fun, a fun little like, good money, not shitty money. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh yeah. And there's, okay. So I I sort of missed this, but I mm-hmm. caught up and written wrote it in. Mm-hmm. Um. F- correct me if I'm wrong. Eddie Maps of the Stars. Eddie mm. has his fucking portable audio version of his. Uh, his maps, maps of the, the stars, stars audio thing, and he yeah. colors it in to make it look like the emp yeah so the actual sort of damocles disc has a little red dot on it 
and yeah. that's what differentiates it, I guess. From it's like it's a it's a real stretch, but it, like that's what makes it look like the sort of Damocles disc. So he takes some of Hershey's nail polish and puts a dot on one of his maps to the stars discs. So he's like, hey, if we, in case we need to swap it later, I'm sure that who knows if that'll come in to play. That'll or not. never come. Yeah. yeah uh, no. The other thing I wanted to call out before we moved on is that so Hershey's gang who is they're they're the little Tokyo gang and they have a fun name but I forget what it is but uh all four of these guys are um cast members from uh Big Trouble in Little China. Um, oh yeah, like Ali Wong. Al, right? Yeah, Al Young is is in there and then um James Liu is another one who's I think super recognizable. But yeah, all of those guys are uh like recurring from Big Trouble. Which is a little tricky because they're Chinese in that movie, and I guess now Japanese. But whatever, uh, it's is good, it to, Ali, see, good Ali to see. Ali Leong, right? Al, Ali Al Leong, Al Al Leong. That's yes. what I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm I'm conflating it with Ali Wong, the comedian. <laughs> <laughs> That's her brother. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, she has a she has a seven year old brother. Um, so they need to get to all right. This part fucking. <laughs> they need to get to Anaheim where uh-huh. Cuervo is. But it's going to take two, two and, and a half, half hours. Two to and a half there. hours. At the, yeah. The, we the don't way, have that time. He says the way it's moving right now, which I, is such a great. That's just like, yep. Talking <laughs> about LA specific. Talking about LA traffic. And he's not wrong. Any any busy time of day, you want to get from downtown to Anaheim, it's going to take a fucking couple hours. And But they can use the burning winds of the Santa Anas in the fires. Yeah. To hang glide off the fucking Hollywood sign. It's awesome. Well, no, they just, I think they show the Hollywood sign to show that the Santa Anas are burning in the hills. They are on, I don't know if we talked about this, but they are downtown on the, the Queen ship, Mary. Yes, on the Queen Mary. So they, they go off the deck of the Queen Mary. Oh, I uh, thought they were going off the top of the Hollywood sign. No, no, they just show it as as like a sort of to set the scene that the Santa Ana fires are burning in the hills. Oh, okay. They should have done it off the Hollywood sign. <laughs> That's way dumber <laughs> and cooler. Um so Cuervo arri- oh, Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. I actually do want to talk about something. Okay. When they hang glide off mm-hmm. of wherever they are, they immediately like almost hit the ground again. Yeah. And then the next time we see them, they're like high up in yeah. the air. So they, well, you know, you gotta ride. Some... You gotta ride those. Uh, that's the uh, wind. Uh, those winds. Yeah, that the San Andreas. It looks terrible. Uh, it it looks really dumb. But it's fucking funny. But it, yeah, it looks like absolute shit. I wish it looked better. So Cuervo arrives at I think it's called Happy Kingdom by the Sea, which is yeah. essentially Disneyland, but they couldn't say Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rallies his troops. A chopper lands. Um, the president is watching all of this and he, the president just wants to bolt. He's like, I, I gotta get out of here. This is, yeah. and Malloy is like, no, you gotta sit here and watch it and see it through. Uh, cause the president's a fucking chicken shit. Yeah. The invasion to Miami is starting. They're only minutes away to, from Miami. Then they're fucking hang gliding snake and the crew, uh, are hang gliding in it's like, well, yeah. we need to create some kind of diversion. So Eddie flies in first. Um, and says like, oh, they're about to attack. It's Pliskin. Um, but Eddie is is the diversion. He steals the M- the EMP from Cuervo, who is going to shoot him. But just then, there's a big explosion. 
Snake glides in with guns ablazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like five people on hang gliders against hundreds of people on the ground, and somehow yeah. it's a fair fight. It's yeah. Um, uh, S- Snake fights with Cuervo. Yeah, before this, when the hang gliding, so we have a it's it's long. It's a pretty long fight sequence, and there's a lot of Pam Greer and Kurt Russell flying around in circles. It's very. It looked really goofy, and I was actually very proud of myself for picking up on this. I was watching it. I was like, this "Looks like the Spider Monkeys in Wizard of Oz. Like <laughs> they're all just like flying around in little circles over everybody's heads." Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. reading the trivia, I was like, "Yeah, John Carpenter wanted it to look like that scene." Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, and then one more little piece of trivia: uh, this this set, all of this, the fake Happy Kingdom in this square that they're at this is all that the famous town square in universal studios where like back to the future famously is oh you know but you see it in a million movies but very cool um (laughs) they're fighting cuervo gets a knife slashes snake across the chest suddenly an explode there's an explosion and they're separated um it knocks the emp to the ground they both crawl towards but snake gets it he gets his coat back from the, that dead goon uh he loads everybody including utopia into the bulletproof chopper they take off um and, but cuervo grabs a rocket launcher uh but fast uh, fast eddie <laughs> <laughs> maps to the stars eddie from the from the chopper shoots it Shoots um, Cuervo right in the chest like, with hits a him in the chest. heavy, ca- like a high caliber weapon. Cuervo's response is to smile and then continue to aim a bazooka at the helicopter, which is very confusing to me. It is confusing. Uh, he get he shoots the rocket. It hits the chopper. It's on fire now, and then Cuervo very an- unceremoniously just collapses and dies. Like it's. It, it, I, I yeah. almost didn't write it down because I'm like, well, there's got to be some better thing that happens after. It seems like the end of this climax, uh, confrontation, I should say, is very rushed. Because in addition to what you're talking about, speaking of unceremoniously, I guess uh, Hershey and her whole gang in the back of the helicopter, everybody, like Eddie jumped out of the helicopter and yeah, he's Eddie back jumps on the out. ground. But everyone else is still in the helicopter and then they get hit with a bazooka. And I guess everyone in the back of the helicopter is dead, but we don't see yeah, them die. Right. Yeah. Nothing happens, but they're burning the whole time. And then, you know, when they land, it's only Utopia and Snake. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, that's fucking, that's fucked up. Uh, so they're, they're coming in hot, on fire. Snake, they're getting low enough, and Snake's like, jump out of here, head to the tree line and disappear. And then she does, and then he jumps out right, right before, before the helicopter. Right before she jumps out, Snake takes. They have. He has a second because there's two things now. There's the the, the disc there's the, yeah. and the and the control mechanism. And Snake slips one into her coat as she jumps out of the helicopter. Oh, okay. I missed that. Well, Wait, then, how did the end of this that... make any sense to you? Well, it's, I, I, it's like a I crucial part of. He the... made the switcheroo. Uh, he did, but this is where he's making the switch. We see him do. It. Oh, yeah. because okay, she comes back. Got it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man. Sometimes writing these notes is a fucking bummer. I feel like it happens, <laughs> especially them. it gets you at the end when it's like everything is moving super fast, and I feel like yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. and it's like the worst time to be like 
keep pausing it to like mm-hmm. when this happened. Okay. Yeah. All right, what's this? <laughs> um so he jumps out, the helicopter crashes, soldiers arrive and surround Snake, the president's there, and then uh the president's like, Thank God almighty, Snake, give me the goddamn shot. And the president laughs, and just then his time runs out, and then like Stacy Keach and Blazer or whatever her fucking name is, <laughs> blocks in whatever the fucking Brazen. Name is. Brazen. Brazen. Uh it's like, well <laughs> jokes on you, Snake. Plutoxin seven is just a fad fast, hard hitting case of the flu. We tricked you. Ha ha ha, you fucking <laughs> idiot. Um And then he pulls out the EMP. You want this thing? You come get it. And just then, soldiers have found Utopia in the woods. And uh, the president's like, well, it looks like you didn't finish the mission. And I'll have to do it for you. Um, oh, yes. I did write it down. Utopia mm. has the fake the fake one that Eddie made up, the fake EMP. Yeah, Malloy goes over and and pats her down and finds it. Finds it. And, exactly. He's, and it's, it is very supremely silly because instead of having the one he got off Utopia and going to try to get the one from Snake, he just says... I think we'll keep this one <laughs> where it's like, you don't want to cover all your bases, man. And just have both of them. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you want this thing? Oh yeah. The, the, the utopia has a fake one. The president basically is like, well, all right, bring her to the chair. She's going to get <laughs> fucking electrocuted. Yep. She gets strapped in. The president's going to go live on TV snake's like well can i have a smoke (laughs) there's no smokes there's no drinking there's no drugs there's no women unless you're married and no guns land of the free president's on tv the cuban invasion is still happening he plugs in the coordinates of the sword of damocles to shut them all down yeah cuban mexico they go they go to target yeah and he presses the button and it's Eddie's voice. Welcome to Maps of the Stars <laughs> on TV. Yeah. And the president. Yeah. No, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, I say uh, the president is like, oh, he tricked us. Kill him. And they turn the cameras around. They're going to shoot Snake on camera. They unload on him. But of course, he's a hologram. He's in the woods. <laughs> uh, he holds up the EMP. He punches in the world code 666. He's like, no, Snake, that's going to shut down the entire planet. You're going to erase everything we've done for the past 500 years. Don't do it, Snake. The name's Pliskin. Ooh, a little reversal. (laughs) He triggers it. Uh, Everything goes dark. The world goes dark. Yeah. Finds a pack of American spirit cigs. Right, right before Utopia is about to be electrocuted, the power oh, yes. goes out, saving her briefly, presumably, until she just gets shot. Shot uh, or something. <laughs> <laughs> he lights a cigarette with one of his stick matches and then looks at the camera, looks yeah. directly at the camera, blows out the match, goes dark. And we hear him say, welcome to the human race, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a great. What does that mean? Yeah, it's not a great headline. <laughs> It's like they could have just not had one or written a better one, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, Yeah, what are you going to do? So so another thing I read in the trivia is supposedly Kurt Russell almost single-handedly wrote this whole final 
like the ending of the movie. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. a cool ending. Um, and I will say that before we get into the wrap-up of the whole thing, specifically, like, the ending of this always stuck with me. Uh, mm-hmm. The EMP blast. Yeah. Like, I've remembered that since 1996. And I've various times been very uh, sort of cavalier in saying, like, yeah, hey, I don't know that that would be so bad if we just yeah. reset everything. Now, I realize that that's probably not a good idea, but it's fun to think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. That is the end of Escape from LA. Here on Kill Streak, you'd like to talk about some uh, categories at the end. One of them is moment that aged the worst. <laughs> well, I mean, are we just we're both going to say the same thing, right? Yeah, I think just uh, Carjack, a- aka Dead Name Carjack, Hershey. Mm-hmm. I think that I've certainly seen worse. <laughs> But it's not particularly sensitive or well handled, and I think if this movie got made today, it would either not be there, or it would be done in a, um, a slightly better manner. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe actually played by a trans actress. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, and I think also we have to keep calling out those bad CGIs. But I guess oh, that, yeah. that's just even bad for the time. Yeah, that's not even age, right? Like, we talked about it. Like, this is... I mean, this is three years after Jurassic Park, for fuck's sake. So, it's like... Right. You can do CGI. It's just... It, you need people who are good at it. Best death. This Oof. is tough, because yeah. there's not a lot of great deaths in this movie, as far as, like, horror movies would go. Um, yeah. Um, my favorite is... Uh, we talked about him up top. Revenge of the Nerds, Robert Carradine, the skinhead. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little, again, it's like, a, it feels a lot like the famous scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the sword fighter, Harrison mm-hmm. Ford shoots, where they like chase him into an alley and they're yelling at him. And the guy's whole thing is throwing knives and he's got a big knife and he's getting ready to throw it at Snake and he just turns around and blasts him with an assault rifle and yeah. kills him in the alley. And I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I think mine is similar, and it's the Bangkok rules <laughs> mowing down everybody before the sure. can even hits the ground. Yeah, it's uh, very it's Snake Plissken. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's very Snake Plissken. Um, so, we like to rate the scariness of these movies on our patented John Carpenter scale. And what the Carpenter scale is, we believe that every horror movie falls somewhere uh, in terms of scariness on the entire filmography of John Carpenter. Um, for example, the scariest would be The Thing or Halloween, mm-hmm. and the least scariest maybe the made-for-TV Elvis movie. Yeah, something Let's I wanted to say – before, yeah. just very briefly, I wanted to point out, too, that that Elvis movie that we referenced so much represented the first of five collaborations between John Carpenter and yeah. Kurt Russell, and this mm-hmm. represents, so far, the last – so, it's too bad. They should get them back together. I hope so. I would like to see one more good John Carpenter movie. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. It's been 10 years since yeah. he's made one. Um. So I, you want to talk about this, where this one might fall? Sure. I mean, this movie is not scary. Um, no. It is post-apocalyptic, so it's like a little bit uh, unpleasant at times. But even, again, like we talked about, Escape from New York... Also post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, and it manages to be dark and gritty, and like that movie is certainly scarier than this one. So mm-hmm. I don't know. This is fairly low. This is pretty low on the Carpenter scale. What do you think? Yeah, 
I think so. I think All so. Right. What do you want to give it? Um, I think we should give it an escape from L.A. Mm. All right. All right. I'll go with you on this one. Okay. Okay. All right. But that's good to know. It's good to know that escape from L.A. is on the, the – we should arrange these, you know, eventually arrange these in terms of scariness uh, <laughs> in our in our little spreadsheet. But Yeah. You know, yeah. That's for another day. Yeah. And then finally for this segment, Mary Fuck Kill. Um, is this a movie that we want to watch over and over again? Is this one that is just fun to throw in for a nice little tumble in the sack? <laughs> or just want to write it out of existence, never watch it ever again? Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. Um, I think that it's right on the border for me, but I... At the end of the day, I talked about this on one of our live commentaries for Dead Alive. Um, oh, yeah. Spoiler. That's coming out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I well, got to stop we'll, saying we'll spoiler. We'll talk about it yeah. at the end of this Now episode. you guys know this Thursday's live commentary is Dead Alive. And it's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of fun with uh, Josh Brace and Carol Fay. Um, yeah. But we'll talk about that at the end. But on that commentary, I mentioned um, this idea that like I am out for a lot of escapist entertainment right now. Uh, and I think a lot of the time. And so, like, the first priority I have in film watching is, like, was I entertained? Did this entertain me? Um, mm. I'm not trying to write a thesis on anything at the moment. I'm, you know, I love it when I can learn something from a movie, but that's not what I really go into it looking for. I want to be entertained. And I would be a bald-faced liar if I said this movie did not entertain me. Um, mm-hmm. So while I think it is close... I am going to give this a Mary. I think that this was significantly wow. better than I remembered it. I had a lot of fun watching it. It is dumb and bad in a number of ways, but my overall feeling towards it was one of fondness and one of being entertained and having fun watching a, a, a film. And that's what I, what I really want. And so it is a Mary for me. Wow, that's nice to hear. Uh, I think for myself, this is a movie that I enjoyed while I was watching it. Um, Is it going to be one when I'm just in the mood for a John Carpenter movie? Am I going to reach for escape from LA? That's a great question. I don't think so. I Mm -hmm. think this movie out of maybe any other movie we've talked about exemplifies for me, the concept of a fuck for a, for a movie. (laughs) It is fun. Fair. Fair. It is a bit mindless, uh-huh. but it's not going to be one I'm going to watch every year. But am I going to watch Escape from L.A. again? You're goddamn right I'm going to. And I'm going <laughs> to feel a little bit gross and dirty after. Okay. Fair enough. All right. I respect that. Um, all right. Well, that concludes our discussion of Escape from L.A. It does not, however, conclude our discussion of the great city of Los Angeles. We will take a very brief break. and We'll be right back with our end segment. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are ready for our final segment. It is a new one. It's a little bit less structured than some we've done in the past, but uh, we're trying out new things in John Carpentober. And um, yeah. one of the things we wanted to talk about was the city of Los Angeles. Um, one could say it's uh, almost a character in Escape from L.A. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Um, you know, we've talked about New York in the past. We've talked about great horror in New York. Um, there's not a lot of great L.A. horror 
Uh, and also, we figured, why not take the opportunity in an episode where we're discussing a non-horror movie to talk non-horror L.A. movies? Um, and so we cooked a little something up here. We are calling Film School. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different. We're not doing a best-of list. There's no ranking. It's not a Mount Rushmore. Um, what essentially we're going to do is Eric and I are going to present to you guys a curriculum of films that the two of us think represent, um, I would say, a, a more accurate representation of Los Angeles. as two, two people who lived most of their adult lives in L.A. Yeah. Um, Eric, would you agree that the, the Hollywood, even though it is where L.A. is located, often does not really get the city right? Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I think um, because I, I primarily have lived on the east side of Los Angeles, the northeast side of Los Angeles, which yep. is very, very different than what you would consider to be like, you know, something you would see on TV, like anything mm-hmm. that takes place in Hollywood or Entourage or shit right. like that, you know? Yeah, Beverly Hills, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It is a way more Latinx community and um, rapidly gentrifying in mm-hmm. a way that I'm not very comfortable with, but also I see yeah. my place in, in a way, because I've lived mm-hmm. here. But I've also lived on this side of town for, I don't know, 15 years at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do want to briefly call out, there's a couple of shows that I think, uh, TV shows, not movies, they didn't make the list, uh, that do showcase this side of town. in uh, one from the more like affluent... W- w- Caucasian side I would say is you're the worst uh-huh. I think at least watching it I'm like oh yeah I know every single location that they film at sure. every bar every yeah. restaurant I'm like oh I know where that is I know where that is uh, and that is a very satisfying thing and they show a side mm-hmm. of LA that you don't typically see on TV but then yeah. for the Latinx side the show Vita I think is excellent um, mm-hmm. I'm still haven't finished the last season but it all takes place in Boyle Heights um, which sure. is very close to where I live and is very, yeah. very much about the issue of gentrification. Uh, and I, yeah, I Boyle Heights. It. Yeah, I haven't seen the show, but particularly Boyle Heights is geographically like really at the on the razor's edge mm-hmm. of like the wave of gentrification. I mean, it started probably 10 years ago, but it's it's a place that hasn't gone through that whole change yet it's in the middle of that struggle and it is very um, it is very much fighting against it um, yes some of the most an- um, uh, active anti-gentrification organizations are based out of Boyle Heights like mm-hmm. one called defend Boyle Heights um, and it is all about yeah. that yeah and I mean I'll say that like <laughs> I was I was joking and half joking with Eric about this before we started the podcast that for me like this whole process of thinking about what Los Angeles is as a city, how to represent it, um, how it's changed, I think is such a big thing. I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and say that there's in no small part, one of the reasons that I left Los Angeles uh, is because of the ways in which it's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still a lot of things that I love about it and certainly lots of people, but um I think that, you know, it is hard to talk about what kind of city L.A. is without, like, I don't you know, at the risk of sounding too much, uh, I, I, we're going to lose all of our, uh, you know, snowflake SJW hating <laughs> listeners on this one. But, like, I have a lot of problems with, um, you know, the gentrification of Los Angeles 
and a you know free market capitalism as a whole and kind of what it's doing to that city and cities all over mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. and, and and you know also just trying to sort of like acknowledge my privilege and my part in all of that and like always striving to be a better sort of ally and, and resident i think thinking about yeah. it in the sense of not just individuals but also you know what we bring to a city and to a culture and if we are respecting the history of that and helping it continue to survive or if we are actively helping chase it out mm-hmm. so anyways that's my whole spiel um now let's talk about the movies yeah let's, uh, let's do you want to go first eric uh why don't you go first you uh I, I yeah you go first i i I uh, want to make sure that I interpreted your pitch correctly, and I think I have, but I want to see. Uh, I'd love for you to go first. Okay. Um, well, I'll start with a fun one um, that, for me, was a movie that I loved before I moved to L.A., and then looking back on my 15-plus years in L.A., I am staggered by how it feels like such a true portrayal of the city to me in a way that I never would have anticipated. And that is one of the greatest comedies of all time. The classic Big Lebowski. Yes. Coen Brothers. Okay. Um, this movie lives largely in and around the valley, although it touches on other parts of the city. Mm-hmm. You get out to Malibu. Uh, it spends time in Hollywood. But like by and large, it is a movie about people in the valley who live and and play and work or don't work at all mm-hmm. in the valley, and just um, it looks so much like L.A. and like the mm-hmm. real L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there, like any city, when it gets represented on film, it there's it there's become such a shorthand for like you see three images and it's like oh yeah that's what L.A. is. You see man's Chinese theater. Mm-hmm. And you see um, Beverly Hills and you see the downtown skyline and it's like, that's L.A. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, a lot of people spend no time in any of those places. And it's such a huge sprawling city. And so just sort of seeing these more residential areas, seeing apartment buildings is something very interesting to me. Yeah. I think that Lebowski is great that like he lives in just a classic L.A. apartment uh, with like a little courtyard. And it's like, that's what the vast majority of people in the city have they have rental living you know it's like you see these big houses and it's like that's such a small percentage of the people in a city that's just not really representative yeah um and i think the attitude of the movie is so great uh it's just like there is that kind of shaggy dog lurching from one place to another in a pot addled haze um it just felt it feels really it hits really close to home for me especially maybe the first five, six, seven years that I spent living mostly around the valley. So it it gives me really warm feelings and it also it feels very real to me. Uh I'm gonna follow your pick for the valley with one that I kind of chose for the same reasons. Uh-huh. Um and the way I thought about this is movies that really made me f- give really made me feel a sense of place uh mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And so my yeah. pick f- uh for the valley is drive. Which I know sure. takes place. Some of it takes place downtown, like in that Denny's yeah. downtown. Their apartment, mm-hmm. I think, is supposed to be like maybe like MacArthur Park or something like that. Yeah. But a large part of it is in the valley, where like Brian Cranston's car uh, mm-hmm. shop is, where Ron Perlman's like pizza place is, and it's all super nondescript. Um, yeah. Uh, what's the strip malls? 
like seeing a strip yeah. mall in a movie similar to apartment buildings and mm-hmm. it's so specific to the valley like there's yeah El- Oh, yeah, so no, go the, ahead. Keep the, going. I, I did like casting for, oh, no, sorry, not casting, locations for a show. Mm-hmm. And we were shooting in the valley. So I spent so much time um, mm-hmm. just soaking in Van Nuys <laughs> and Sherman <laughs> right. Oaks and, uh, you know, Burbank. And, and there's, it's fucking weird. The valley mm-hmm. is a strange place. And I think Drive kind of, although it's not specifically about that, it enough of it seeps into the DNA of that movie to make it feel like it's a valley mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, exactly along the lines of what you're saying. Uh, there are 900 different corner strip malls where it's just one corner of an intersection, one quarter of an intersection, and they all seem to have a donut shop and a check cashing place yep. and probably a shitty liquor store. And then a lot of them also will have a water store where you're just like, how are there this many people buying water? water? I yeah, don't, I know. I don't, I don't totally get it. Um, but it's such a, it's so emblematic. And then, you know, like a lot of people like to talk about the legacy of, of Jonathan Gold who's a famous um, Pulitzer prize winning food writer who passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and is one of the greatest food, like food critics, uh, whoever worked uh, and he kind of popularized uh, reviewing the kinds of restaurants you find in places like this, these mm-hmm. little strip mall restaurants, because again, the, the different mashup of cultures in Los Angeles leads to one of the great food cities of the world. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a, that's a pet thing theme for me, certainly. Um, and yeah, I think drives a great choice. I also just want to call out that scene in the LA river is so iconic to me when he takes um I forget the actor, the the woman, uh, and her son, um, out on a drive and to this one little stretch of LA River where at that point in time there's more of it now as they try to revitalize the river riverbed, but where there's actually trees and grass and there's fish and stuff like that, which is right by where I lived for the last five years that I was in LA, mm-hmm. like right between Atwater Village and Glendale. Um, yeah, so I think that's a great pick. Um, my next one. Uh, Arguably the greatest Los Angeles movie ever made, Paul Haggis's Crash. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was gonna. I, I was holding my tongue, but I, could you see my eyes widen? <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, really. <laughs> just kidding. That movie sucks. sucks. Um, no, my next one. I fear could be just a direct steal from your list. So if it is, I hope it is not. I don't. And if it is, then you, uh, I think, should take equal time talking about it. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. It's actually two movies. Um, The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1 and Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, two of the greatest music documentaries ever made. I toyed with it. Um, Did you? Okay, yeah. So for anybody who hasn't seen these, um, you're a fucking fool and yeah, you should watch, watch them. them. Um, yeah, Penelope Spheris, she's a fantastic director and these are honestly like two of my favorite movies ever and I don't really like documentaries all that much. I respect them, but I don't spend a lot of time watching them. Um, and for those who don't know, the first one is essentially just a cataloging of the Los Angeles punk scene at the turn of the 70s into the 80s. 
uh, spends time with a handful of different bands, probably most famously X, mm-hmm. uh, who are a great band. Um, and also my favorite piece of X trivia is that the lead singer, John Doe, uh, also was an actor and went on to appear in Roadhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also covers uh, The Germs, a big band. Black Flag is in it, I think, and, and a handful of other good ones. Um, and then Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, uh, subtitle, uh, colon, The Metal Years, mm-hmm. uh, really covers hair metal on the Sunset Strip in the mid and late 80s. And arguably, arguably the more famous of the two. Yes, I think so. Um, and then I've never seen the third one because it sounds uh, depressing to me because it's about homeless gutter punk teenagers. Yeah, so, I never saw the um, third one either. Um, but I but probably should. <laughs> part two is incredible. Part one is incredible. Part two is incredible in a different way where just yeah. seeing these fucking hair metal guys, are mm-hmm. so, they're all like so ridiculous because um, yeah. that is just such a vapid music scene mm-hmm. that is all really about partying is. and drinking and just like fucking and that's it man yeah. and like you see oh, i can't remember who it is a guy in his pool the guy in his pool do you remember who that is yeah um but he's the one who's drinking a bottle he's of vodka drinking an entire real. bottle of vodka yeah. floating in his pool chris while holmes his mo- from wasp yeah. while his mom watches it's it's so yeah. funny and disturbing Mm-hmm. Ozzy Osbourne is like super fucked up making <laughs> breakfast for himself in one point. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because he's got the DTs because he like hasn't he's been sober for a little bit, so yeah. he's just like fucking shaking. The yeah, whole time. yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would say I would argue that the first one is probably a better representation of LA, um, especially just like this kind of like I think that when people talk and think about punk. And it's like, I have a lot of appreciation for punk, but a lot of it's come later. And I know that you, Eric, and a lot of our uh, contemporaries were more, like, kind of mm. into punk at the age that you're supposed to be, right? When you're, like, a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of missed me, and I think that's partially just geographical. There's not a punk scene in Heartland, Wisconsin. Sure. Um, but... Um, I just the first time I, I I saw part two earlier, and then when I saw part one, I was just like, "Oh wow, this is like really captures a moment in time and in place." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what is great about both of these movies, and also very sad, is the, the sort of thing that runs through a lot of the movies that we're going to talk about, which is it, this, this is gone now. Like what this yeah. used to be. The, the Los Angeles that this represents no longer exists. And you could certainly, like Eric is saying, like the metal years is pretty gross and it doesn't represent like a great uh, sort of <laughs> time in history. But it's something that it's not that hard to get nostalgic about anyways. And now when you think about what the Sunset Strip is, uh, which is just incredibly expensive uh, apartments and mm-hmm. you know boutique stores and hotels and it's just and that's so much of Los Angeles now and it's it's really it's sad um, because like the culture just kind of gets stomped out and goes away and uh, these are two really great snapshots in time of very specific very out there uh, music culture in Los Angeles uh, I'll say too if you're interested in um, books about punk LA punk uh, there's mm-hmm. one written by uh, someone who I, I mean, I'm not a friend, I couldn't, an acquaintance I, of mine, and uh-huh. John Doe from X called Under the Big Black Sun. 
um, oh, wow. by Tom Tom okay. DeSavia and uh, John Doe. It's all mm-hmm. like an oral history of L.A. punk. It's great. It's mm-hmm. really highly recommended if, if you're at all interested in that music scene. Um, so my pick, I'm gonna uh, my other pick, I'm gonna dovetail on yours is Repo Man, another Ooh, yeah. Los Angeles punk rock movie. That was something I was trying to like rack my brain of like, are there any other? I feel like I'm missing one on my list, but mm-hmm. like Repo Man, for me, it all takes place kind of around where I live right now. In, sure. that, in that like yeah. the more the industrial side of things and it's a side of LA that you don't is often in movies just because it's like mm-hmm. where they'll shoot like a car chase or some shit right you know what I mean or like right. a fight in a warehouse but you never really spend a lot of t- character building time in there and mm-hmm. like there where the repo men are based out of in that like shitty um barren industrial wasteland that still yeah. exists today and then mm-hmm. like we're just hot concrete, hot <laughs> concrete. It's all dusty and like beige yeah. uh, and where Emilio Estevez lives in just like a small house. Um, it all really just feels like the east side of L.A. for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's a wild ass movie, too. If you've, if you've yeah. never seen Repo Man, it is like it's hard to describe. It's like part sci fi, part comedy, part. I don't know not not thriller or anything but it's a wild wild fucking movie yeah directed by Alex. it's one of a kind it's one of yeah. a kind highly recommended i love it um but yeah it is for me when i think as a kid growing up la for me more so than like what you'd see in um you know hollywood like literally hollywood or like beverly hills mm-hmm. la for me was like that area of la where repo man takes place and mm-hmm. We're like Terminator One, like that, like downtown area. Sure, downtown. Yeah, that was like which who, for me when I thought of L.A. before I moved here. That's like, oh, it's like looks like that, mm-hmm. which d- yeah. it does, but it doesn't also. Right, and it's funny you mentioned downtown L.A. and like I don't, none of my movies are going to touch on downtown L.A. that much as a character, but one director who really features downtown really well is John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of Escape from L.A., which is very exaggerated, but a movie like They Live yeah. takes place very specifically, largely in downtown Los Angeles. And even though it's changed drastically, maybe more so than any other part of the city in the last 20 years, it still feels like downtown L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, very cool. Okay. My next one, I'll try to go a little bit faster because I know I'm just... Uh, maybe we'll do four each. How does that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> Do you want to, unless you want to get your fifth, then you, you go much faster than I do. So maybe you can get an extra one in there. Um, my next one on the list uh, is a movie that I loved when I was in high school. And I will be the first person to cop to, like, th- it covers a part of Los Angeles that it took me maybe 10 years to to finally start exploring. And that is uh, F. Gary Gray and Ice Cube's Friday. Um, which is a movie that I think has a really cool origin, which is, um, movies about what, in essence, you know, what Ice Cube would call the hood uh, used to be referred to as South Central Los Angeles. They're kind of phasing that out as, as a title neighborhood now. Yeah. Um, but neighborhoods like Compton, Watts, Inglewood, Crenshaw, um, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods in Los Angeles, 
there was this feeling that any movie that kind of took place in the in those neighborhoods uh, at that point in time was always it was too dark, it was too depressing, it was too violent. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, like I considered Boys in the Hood, which is a great movie with Ice Cube in it, mm-hmm. but it is one where the takeaway is is it's very bleak yes. and yeah. and that's very true to life in some ways. But what they sh- what they set out to do with Friday was make a fun movie about the hood and about what it was like to live there. Uh, and I think it really comes through. And even as like a fucking white kid growing up in Wisconsin, uh, you know, in the 90s, I watched Friday and I was like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. And uh, and I think it, you know, it made me realize, you know, especially at a younger age, just that kind of otherness that I was not. It was just something I was unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I think movies can really do. That's a great thing when done well is just introduce the the strange the unknown the other to people and that's not to say that black culture and like the black neighborhoods of los angeles are strange it's just to a white person sure. they feel that way uh because of your sort of sheltered upbringing um and really you know just to hit on the same note that i'm gonna that I hit on all the time food was the other big thing that kind of brought me to that part of los angeles and makes me so happy that i finally did but it was exploring places you know, always hearing that, oh, the best burgers in Los Angeles, one of the places you have to try House is Hawkins House of Burgers, which is in Watts. And that was the first time I ever went to Watts was to just go to Hawkins and have a cheeseburger. And it was mm-hmm. amazing. And places like uh, Dulan's and Inglewood, uh, Bloodsoe's Barbecue in Compton, like all these places that over the course of years, I finally started to like kind of spread out and explore those parts of town. And um, I think it's really it's just a great fun movie. And it it feels very authentic, uh, you know, and obviously I can only say that as a viewer. I've never lived there. Um, and it's not really my experience, you know. Um, but it makes me feel like I can understand uh, that much more. And it makes it feel familiar. And I really like that about it. Well, for my next pick, this is one place in L.A. you would never go for the food. And I know this because <laughs> I worked in the exact place, exact area where it was being filmed. Uh, mm-hmm. But similarly to Friday, it does give you a glimpse into a world that I don't really know much about in watching the movie. Mm-hmm. It made me feel like I did really get a sense of it. Uh, it's Tangerine, which have you? Sure. Which is um, about uh, sex workers up mm-hmm. and down Santa Monica Boulevard in between Highland and mm, Gower around, the, around that yeah. area. Which the, the where they shot most of it is two blocks away from where I worked at the BuzzFeed office. Yeah, and yeah. I worked on Santa Monica right during. Like one of the characters walks by my old office at one point, <laughs> and it was filmed in secret uh, on an iPhone, like mm-hmm. I think just guerrilla style for the most part. If I might, I might get that incorrect. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> watching the movie, I'm like, wow, this feels more documentary than it does. Um, like fiction film, which I know a lot of mm-hmm. the people in it were in that position in real life. Yeah. Um, and it captured the sense of that place so, so, so well because it is essentially real. Um, mm-hmm. in the, the manic energy of the characters too is really like it's a great movie. I I really enjoyed it. It's and it's a fun yeah. movie about dark things. I think it's like kind of right. what you hinted about a, a little bit with with Friday. Like typically a a movie about about trans sex workers would probably have some like devastating ending 
Yeah. Um, and um, and this is more of like a celebration of the messiness and of mm-hmm. that. I keep saying that world, but it's essentially you know mm-hmm. that world. Um, right. So yeah, that was my pick for specifically Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood, the weirdest part of Hollywood. <laughs> it's like yeah. that area is so strange and fascinating. It is very yeah. It is a weird place to work. I'll say that yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, I one of the other ones on my list that I'm not going to go into detail on because uh, I had five, but I don't want to take up too much more time. But I'm just going to shout out really fast is if you're interested in a glimpse of old Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people love Chinatown. I know, and that's a cool movie. But I do want to give special mention to L.A. Confidential. Yes, as as. As just being one an awesome movie that I think gets forgotten because it's fucking really great, um, but also it is really it what they do in that movie is so cool, which is they find like the six places left in Los Angeles that still look like they did in the '30s and '40s, mm-hmm. and they base a ton of stuff around them, and they do a great job of like kind of bringing that back to life. Because if you haven't lived in LA, it is famously a city that for most of its life has had almost no respect for its past or its history, especially mm-hmm. from an, specifically from an architectural perspective. Like the, their, the landmarks just get torn down and rebuilt and it's just kind of the way it always has been. And so it's like, you can go to a place like Boston or Philadelphia, these older cities, New York in, in the U S and you can see buildings from the 1600s, the 1700s yeah. easily tons from the 1800s, LA, it's hard to find a building that's older, that's more than 50 years old. Yeah. Um, and it's not because the city didn't exist. I mean, there were things in the 1800s. It's just that they've all been torn down and they've all been destroyed. But anyways, my last official movie that I want to talk about is a swing in the complete opposite direction of Friday. It is so on the nose as being, you mentioned Eric feeling like, um, like this is so familiar to me. This is like my life. These are the places I go, the things that I know. Mm-hmm. And for me, the last one is Swingers. Of, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which is a movie that, while it doesn't call it out, takes place largely in the neighborhood of Los Feliz, um, which is a place that I lived longer than almost anywhere else during my time in LA. It was in a neighborhood that I loved. And like everything else, it used to be cool in a certain way, and it has just gotten more expensive. And uh, the sort of haves and have-nots difference has has been uh, more pronounced, and now it is a place of incredibly expensive real estate. And a lot of uh, restaurants and stores that I would never want to visit myself, dives are disappearing, old cheap restaurants are going away. And the real estate gets more and more expensive. And then on the other hand, you see this homelessness everywhere because it's, you know, everyone else on the bottom is getting pushed out. But there was a point in time when Los Feliz looked and felt a certain way. And when I first moved there, it still felt like swingers. Yeah. And we mentioned on our live commentary with with Jeff Dutton, he brought up my band actually played at the Derby a couple times, which is an old school Hollywood bar that shockingly is gone and has not been preserved. Um, but my band got to play there and that's where the big swing dance and climax of swingers takes place. There's a three part golfing scene on a golf course that I played a hundred times with my friends mm-hmm. skipping out on work 
like taking an afternoon off to go golf and drink a six pack of beers and then walk across the street to the Bigfoot Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, it covers that the um, what's the the diner by the UCB is a cafe 101. Um, yeah, 101. Yeah. Yeah, um, where the famous scene of Vince Vaughn standing up in a restaurant booth and shouting and being drunk and all this stuff. And it's just, there's so many locations. And also, it's a movie about what it's like to be a single white guy living in Los Feliz and hanging out and getting drunk with your friends and going to parties and going to bars. And that was the life that I led for a lot of the time I was in L.A., as something that I'm super nostalgic about, especially now that I'm gone. Um, and yeah, so if you guys want to know what it was like to be me in my 20s, you can watch Swingers and just change <laughs> the outfits and take out the swing dancing. So uh, It's so funny. I feel like we really picked movies that are all thematically like similar for this. And so the one that I'm just going to toss out there as my fifth pick that I'm uh-huh. not really going to get into, but it's for the exact same reasons that you did, is Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in Hollywood. Sure. It's yeah. just, it is a good glimpse. It feels authentic, even though it was made last year, of old yeah. Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. in like this kind of the reason why you, we moved to Hollywood. It's just like this golden right. sunset, sunlight, um, these beautiful old kitschy buildings. And just, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, the, it's a wonderful the Hollywood Hills. The Hollywood yeah. Hills. It's all brightly colored, you know, fucking drinking a tiki drink. It's floating in a pool. Like, it, it, it is a great hangout movie in a love yeah. letter to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you bring up Swingers as being something that resonated very deeply with you when you're a younger person, especially in your 20s. Uh, this is a movie that I don't love, but I feel like really mm-hmm. did affect me for similar reasons, but age it up a decade. Under the Silver Lake. I don't know. Have you seen that? I haven't. Uh, an, our mutual friend Ross just gave it uh, the highest of five star ratings on Letterboxd. Oh wow! So and I know Dave it. Horowitz yeah. too really really enjoyed mm. it. Um, so it is a movie about. It's hard to explain exactly what it's about because it's about a guy, mm-hmm. a lo- kind of like a, a directionless thirty something loaf played by An- Andrew Garfield lives in Silver mm. Lake. He's unambitious uh kind of just shuffling through life in a way that kind of resonates to a lot of people here in los angeles in your in your 30s uh and for me it affected me because it feels like the time in your life when you're not the young it person you're Mm -hmm. not like you can't even think like well maybe i can get into movies now like no you're 35 and mm-hmm. your looks are starting to go out the window <laughs> and and the people in the 20 21 year olds don't give a fuck about you anymore uh and yeah. he gets involved in this really strange mystery that involves like kooky the kookiness of LA uh like the modern day kookiness of LA if that makes any mm-hmm. sense i'm not doing a great job because it's a very hard, it's a hard movie to describe sure. it's surreal it's strange um, but he gets involved in this. When mystery. LA is a hard city to pin. It down, is a hard city. You know? um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm running on a steam just talking about it. But <laughs> I recommend watching Under the Silver Lake, especially if you're mm-hmm. someone a sad man in your 30s like myself. Uh, although in a better <laughs> position than Andrew Garfield in the movie. Um, yeah. There's a. I also wanted to call out Mahal and Drive. I, I wanted to put it on the yeah. list. Didn't exactly. Sure. 
I think it's good for other reasons, not just the alienness of it. Yeah. Oh, okay, guys. Um, I got to wrap this baby up. We're going long. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I mean, that's a passionate exercise for both of us, and I could do a whole podcast just about this yeah, easily. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe we bit off even more than we could chew in an egg se- end segment, so maybe we'll have to revive this one day. But uh, but yeah, that is our vital curriculum of uh, movies. If you want to learn what it's like to be in L.A. without actually coming, uh, especially in pandemic times, check it out. It's like a little mini trip to L.A. Um, yeah. So uh, quick announcements coming this Thursday. As I tipped off earlier in the podcast, we are uh, doing a live commentary of Dead Alive. And who are our guests, Eric? It is Josh Briggs and Carol Fay, who are the hosts of the podcast Mummy, M-U-M-M-Y, and Deddy, D-E-A-D-D-Y. <laughs> it's a parenting-themed <laughs> horror movie podcast. They're great friends of ours. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Josh and I were on an improv team for years. Uh, we already recorded it. It was very fun. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think you guys will enjoy it. And then next Monday, John Carpentober marches on with our third of four films. If you guys want to join in with us, we are going to be watching Village of the Damned. Yeah, first time Uh, watch for both of us. Yeah, neither of us has ever seen it. So uh, who knows? It could be amazing. Um, I feel like I might have heard one person in my whole life say that before, if it was the case, but um, you never know. Yeah, it's not often um, talked about, that, that one. No. I also feel like it's got to be one of the last movies with uh, Christopher Reeve pre, pre-accident. pre Oh, shit. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting, uh, trippy sort of thing as well. But looking forward to that. Um, and in the meantime, if you have any questions, suggestions, anything you'd like to see or hear um, or tricks you want to make us do live on the podcast, you can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. Our Twitter is killstreakpod. Our new Instagram is killstreakpod. Our website is killstreakpod.com. Oh, my God, guys. And as always, you may have survived Cleveland. You may have escaped from New York, but this is L.A. Vato, and you're about to find out that this city can kill anybody.